Giant Robot FM, your home of all things Mecca, be it giant or otherwise. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I almost forgot our intro there. I stumbled for a split second. You may have heard it, you may have not. I've only repeated that slogan. How many times, PMC? How many episodes have we done? How many episodes have we done? Well, it's kind of hard because we don't, we don't count every episode as a mainline episode. So we'd have to add up, you know, main feed episodes and... The Witch for Mercury episodes and the Turn A Gundam episodes and this and I that's too much math for me. So I I don't think that's I don't think it's possible. Uh, only it's only achievable through hard work and guts. Nice. PMC is quick with the recall there. Well done, my friend. Mm-hmm. PMC, how excited are you to revisit Gunbuster? I'm super super excited. I I it wasn't until I actually like sat down and watched the first episode that I like, remember like how much this show puts it big dumb smile on my face like it's just very very uh good and also i'm super pleased with this uh this new dub from uh you know from from that discotheque put on the uh, the new release and so that's also uh you know very enjoyable as well yeah and everyone we got pmc to actually buy a physical copy of an anime which is amazing (laughs) i also got suckered into that recently because someone pointed out that uh, like the Vodum's Ultimate Collection was on sale, and I definitely I bought that, even though I probably shouldn't have, um, but I I did it anyway. So it's important research for future dank video gaming. Now we are not alone. We are joined by Dawn from the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. Dawn, welcome so much to Giant Robot FM. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Anytime I get asked to talk about Gunbuster is a good time. Dawn, you are an anime celebrity, a celebrity on anime Twitter, so you're you're a big yet as far as I'm concerned. Celebrity? Celebrity. Oh, thank you. I don't know if Steven's used that one before. <laughs> I uh I don't consider myself any kind of celebrity, but thank you. I usually I also use the term like notable. Like I there's certain people on anime Twitter that I consider anime notables or mecha mm. notables. Mm-hmm. And you would fall under that umbrella term. Yeah, I, I, I think I would use more notable uh, than celebrity, but yeah, yeah. But maybe I'm just being uh, humble. I don't know. <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, I uh, Gunbuster is something that's very close to my heart. So anytime anyone's like, hey, you, you want to talk about Gunbuster? I'm like, yes, yes. When? I'll be there. <laughs> and uh, you podcasted about Gunbuster on your own podcast. It must be years at this point ago. Oh, gosh, that was... <sighs> gosh probably like eight or nine years ago wow it was it was quite a while ago <laughs> yeah because uh, my podcast actually this month um we're recording in june uh marks my podcast's uh 10 year anniversary which is kind of wild yeah. to think about <laughs> i was like oh my god it's actually been 10 years i've been doing this that long I've never done a uh, any kind of project for this long, so I'm kind of amazed. But uh, you know, never underestimate the the hyper focused anime fan. <laughs> yeah, once you get into the swing of things, like once you get into the routine of recording a podcast, it's hard to break from, even though the work can be extensive. Like I joke oh, to yeah. PMC all the time. 
did I actually watch something if I didn't podcast about it? Which is a sickness. They shouldn't have those thoughts. <laughs> truly, truly. Uh, that's It's kind of like the whole, like, you know, if you didn't tweet about it, did you actually do it? You know? Exactly. <laughs> I need to get those thoughts, like, excised from my brain. But um, it, it's, it's a part of me. It's a sickness. Yeah. it's ugh. We live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dawn, I first was aware of your existence. This is a super deep cut. But I first remember listening to you on an episode of Matt J's Conversation Genesis Evangelion podcast, which has, wow. has been wiped from the internet. Matt has left the internet long ago. I'm not sure why. But that podcast episode is probably from 2018. Yeah. I was going to say, like, gosh, that was so long ago now. Uh, like, I was, like, thinking about it. I was like, I don't even know if I have a copy of that anymore. It's it been is. so long. There's only a few episodes that people have uploaded onto archive.org. It's, it was a great podcast. Matt seemed like a cool guy. Um, but anyway, when I heard, I remember you made a comment about Kaji being the Evangelion equivalent of a Bond girl, and that has a stuck in my brain since I listened to that episode. Yeah, yeah, that was actually a thing that I read a, gosh, what was it? It was like a Japanese, like, essay or article or something. I wish I could find it again. I've I've tried looking for it, and I couldn't find it, but they compared um, Kaiji to a Bond girl. It was like, Kaiji isn't Bond, he's the Bond girl or something like that. And when I read that, I was like, oh, it's so true, though. And yeah, so, it totally tracks. Yeah, and so now I bring up any excuse to bring that up because it's a great uh, fodder for conversation, honestly, for for his character. But Get anyway. Kaji and Oda into the same room. There's there'll be some interesting <laughs> conversation. Oh my god, right? I don't know though. Uh, Coach is uh, voiced by Norio Wakamoto, and I think he can out charm Kaiji. Or Kai- Kaji. 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 Did I say Kaiji? Yeah, oh, I, I embarrassed said myself. Kaiji. No, I said Kaiji. Oh, gotcha. I'm usually the one mispronouncing <laughs> names in this podcast, as our listeners will quickly remind me. No, sorry. I had Kaiji on the brain because I was just thinking I need to get the new volume of the manga. Mm. Now, Dawn, you've also been on several episodes of the Bo- Bomb Squad Movie Night podcast. You covered mm. the Utena film, Animal mm-hmm. World, and most mm. recently, Rock and Rule. Uh, I wanted. Yeah. I, you've guessed on many podcasts, but I want to highlight these in particular because, of course, Ethan Hawker, friend of the show and frequent guest on Giant Robot FM, is part of the Bomb Squad crew. They all mm. do great work there. I guessed an episode as well. And I, I watched the episodes that you guessed it on, Dawn. They were all great. So, listeners, you should definitely check them out. Yeah, I I have a lot of fun on uh on that show. I'm always happy when they have me back. Uh especially cuz I got to talk about some things like I don't think normally a podcast would think of me to come talk about like Animal World or Rock and Roll, but I love both of those things. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. So it was like super fun. Yeah, Ethan has a wealth of animation knowledge on the industry and the medium it's always it's always fun to talk to him about any topic relating to animation mm-hmm, totally but dawn let's talk Gunbuster. so yeah. you podcasted about almost a decade ago but when was the first where did you first discover when did you first watch it so i first watched Gunbuster in my local anime club so this must have been uh, mid to late 90s i believe 
and I hadn't heard of it before. It was just like, hey guys, we're watching Gunbuster today. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, just sounds cool. Gunbuster, wow, what's that? I don't know. And, um, you know, teenage me was like immediately just enthralled. I was like, oh, there's a female protagonist and she's really close to her dad. And, um, you know, she she has to prove herself and like, you know, all, all hard work and guts. And, uh, I was like, wow, this is really cool. This is really awesome. I, I enjoyed it. And so when we voted on, you know, should we keep watching this? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to know what happens. I want to know what happens. And then I think later I found out that it was by Gynax, you know, the same uh, studio that did Evangelion, which I had seen a little bit of previously. So, you know, this was back in the day before all of these were licensed, <laughs> uh, really, uh, or like not super easy to get. So it was all brand new to me. And um, it was a fun couple of weeks uh, going to anime club and, you know, thinking about like, oh my gosh, what's what's gonna happen to Noriko this time? Oh, I can't wait, Ooh, you know? <laughs> Uh, it was it was a really fun experience, and immediately after we finished watching it, I went up to the anime club president and I was like, "Oh my god, if I get you some tapes, can you make copies of this for me because I need it. It's so good." And then I proceeded to force all of my friends to watch it because that was the kind of person I was. If I really really liked something, I was like, "Oh my god, you're gonna like it too. Come here, come come." Day the night at my house this weekend, we're gonna watch Gunbuster, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it quickly became a favorite of mine, and like every so often I would rewatch it and just, you know, ugly cry at the end. Like, I, I never not ugly cry at the end. Like, even when I was rewatching it just recently, when we got the Blu ray for the new dub and everything, I was just like, oh boy, I'm ready to cry! <laughs> And I did <laughs> every single time, man. It's oh, it's just so good, though. It, it's yeah, it just, hits those emotional beats so well. Uh, it really just it has a special place in my heart. It's just so good, so 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 good. It's the perfect anime to introduce friends to either the the medium of animation or just like mecha anime more specifically because it's so short it's so compact it would make a great like sleepover viewing for um like middle school or high school steven here had i known the show existed back then oh yeah for sure for sure every time i showed it to friends it was always like a real fun time because it's like you said it's not too long uh the characters are teenage so like you know they're fairly relatable in their um mannerisms and their in their um lives and everything like that because you know who can't relate to like oh my god i have all these worries and stress and expectations and am i gonna do well in school and i want to make my parents proud and you know all this stuff uh just not you know to the extent of like oh i have to get in a giant robot and save the universe that's all <laughs> you know but but still like a very relatable protagonist and she wasn't like um you know, other mecha protagonists that uh, I had seen before in where, you know, 
well, for one, you know, we, do, we don't see a lot of female mecha protagonists, uh, which was uh, really, really cool for me. I was like, oh my god, she's a girl and she gets to do the robot thing. That's great. Um, but also, like, she she seemed a little bit more relatable, kind of in the way that I felt like Shinji was relatable in mm-hmm. Evangelion. Like, you know, it seemed like he was more, you know, both he and Noriko had more, like, sympathetic um, personalities. And uh, I related to them a lot more than I did, like, I don't know, someone from Getter Robo. <laughs> You know, (laughs) as cool as they are, you know, sometimes it's nice to see, you know, a character that is more relatable to yourself. Totally. Now I'm thinking, has Shinji and Noriko appeared in the same Super Robot Wars video game? Oh, I think they have, but I'm not sure. I haven't actually played any of the super robot wars i've mostly just watched videos of super robot wars we're in the same boat despite the fact that we are veteran mecha podcasters don we are frauds (laughs) because neither pmc and i have really dedicated much time to that franchise i'm sorry i am a fraud (laughs) i'm i'm confessing my sins on national podcasts (laughs) <laughs> I know I'm going to be corrected on this, but based on a cursory Google search, I can't find any screenshots with both Shinji and Noriko on the same screen sharing dialogue, so I'm going to assume mm. that maybe they don't, they're not in the same game. Mm. That would make sense. I know they've been in Gainax things together, like in like their Mahjong games and stuff like that. I, w- I was really worried that Steven was going to ask if they were both in the Stripping Instrumentality Project, a question I was not prepared to answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to throw that to Rex next time we have him on. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I had to erase my search history after yeah. I looked at like, three pages of that. Sanitize that org. search history. I wiped out F- my keyboard after that. FBI person looking at my search history, I swear I'm not a creep. <laughs> just, just an anime podcaster, sir. <laughs> I mean, you I have know to make, how it goes. <laughs> I have to make the joke. I have to make the Shinji. I'm so fucked up. Low hanging fruit, nevertheless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Dawn, on a, more, on a more serious note, you wrote an excellent piece on the shoujo connections with Gunbuster for Anime Herald. You also talked about the connections and inspirations between Aim for the Ace and Gus, Gunbuster. So, tell us about that article. It rules. Oh yeah, uh, I just. For the longest time, we didn't have much about Aim for the Ace uh, in English here because for years, even though Aim for the Ace is like a huge classic cornerstone of shoujo manga and anime in Japan, like we don't have any of it here. It's never been released here. So a lot of the stuff in Gunbuster that is like directly referencing aim for the ace completely goes over people's heads like it went over my head when i first watched it because i had no frame of reference i was just like wow what a fun idea like they're girls in a mecha school and they're learning how to pilot robots that's so cool and you know it it feels very sports anime at the beginning and it's because they're directly referencing things that happen in the beginning of Aim for the Ace, which is a very, very, like, extremely popular, very notable uh, shoujo manga and anime, like I said before, uh, about a girl who wants to become an ace tennis player, and specifically, 
like, you know, goes to a prestigious school to become better at it. Like, there's a whole, like, clique of girls who are just, like, you know, really gung-ho about tennis. And there's a really, like, cutthroat coach. And she has to go through, like, all this bullying from the girls when she starts school there because she gets kind of close to their star player who's, like, you know, the it girl at the school and, you know, the, you know, star player of the tennis team and everyone's like oh you think you're so great just because senpai noticed you so like you know they have to make her life living hell for a while and till she proves to everybody that she's actually no like legitimately really good at tennis y'all <laughs> you know how how that whole sort of journey goes in sports anime uh but aim for the ace was the one to kind of like popularize these kind of like i guess what we call tropes now like you know those sort of uh, notable story beats that we see over and over again, like uh, Aim for the Ace was kind of like the one to start a lot of that. And not just for shoujo, like anime and manga, but for sports anime in general, it was like a big thing. Like it ended up influencing so much stuff after it, not just like in the shoujo genre, uh, which, you know, the people at Gainax are, they're all huge nerds. <laughs> So, of course, they're watching every anime. They're, they're huge fans of stuff. So, of course, they're watching Aim for the Ace. And it was really popular with fans because there's, like, a, a very strong Yuri undertone <laughs> between our main character and, you know, the, the star, the senpai of the, of the team, uh, which you can see echoed very clearly in Gunbuster. And I know a lot of people, like, when we talk about fan service, fan service has kind of become shorthand for, like, oh, there's, like, you know, boobs or butts or whatever. But when you hear fan service in the context of some of the stuff that's in Gunbuster, what they're talking about is stuff that would make fans happy or is, like, a wink and a nod to the fans and a lot of the stuff that has to do with Aim for the Ace was fan service because a lot of anime nerds were fans of Aim for the Ace. So they were like, what if we made like all these references to Aim for the Ace in here and we kind of made it also a little Yuri flavored at the beginning? You know, that all was fan service because they were like, you know, we all know that you are also fans of the same stuff we are because we're all watching the same stuff we're all fans of the same thing at this point in time so they were like you know hey this is an obvious nod to this and this and this and this and everyone was like oh my god is this supposed to be a parody or what like everyone was confused at first because they were like this is literally just aim for the ace but but a mecha show so it was i thought it would be a good idea to talk about this like you know write an article about how like without aim for the ace like gunbuster wouldn't really exist uh it's because the first especially the first few episodes are basically like what if aim for the ace was a parody of mecha anime or whatever and so without it like gunbuster would have been completely different i don't i don't know what they would have done if it hadn't been for aim for the ace and it's so funny that, like, Gunbuster is considered, 
a cornerstone of, you know, old school anime or mecha or what have you. But people either don't know or they forget that, like, without this really big historic shoujo series, Gunbuster would not exist. Yeah, that was a great rundown. I need um, to watch Aim for the Ace. It's one of my anime blind spots. I've been meaning to pick up the discotheque release, and I just need a little bit more time to dedicate to what those twenty-four episodes. Uh, I believe so. I have. I I've picked up the the Blu-rays myself. I haven't had time to sit down and watch them yet, but I definitely do. But there is a TV show. It came out in the seventies. Uh, beautifully directed by uh, legendary director uh, uh, Osamu Dezaki, who did all sorts of like really amazing shoujo manga adaptations like The Rose of Versailles and Dear Brother and Aim for the Ace was uh, also an early one. And they also did a full-length movie that it's not a compilation movie. They actually did a movie where they completely animated from scratch uh an entire like guess i guess retelling of um aim for the ace and it is absolutely stunningly beautiful it was done in uh i want to say the late 70s early 80s i can't quite remember but uh it it is absolutely gorgeous and it's basically aim for the ace but very condensed (laughs) And uh, I, I wholeheartedly recommend either of them or both of them if you're a completionist like me. Uh, they are not just wonderful sports anime, period, but they're also like a beautiful example of classic shoujo. And I think a lot of people forget that there's a whole rich history of shoujo manga and anime that we don't really know a lot about in uh, uh, English-speaking circles because we haven't had a lot of those, like, cornerstone classic titles, again, like I was saying, available in English until now. So uh, I really recommend people checking them out. Like, if you feel like you want to know about where a lot of these, you know, classic tropes came from, uh, you, you won't regret, like, you know digging into these old shows and being like, oh, wow, this this is actually very beautifully animated and uh, wonderfully directed and has, like, all these whimsical uh, character designs and fun characters and, and you know, silly, uh, <laughs> silly music and opening themes. Like, it's great. I mean, what other, what other anime, like, sports anime are you going to watch where, like, you know, a beautiful, sparkly-eyed maiden gets injured on the tennis court and her blood droplets turn into rose petals and flutter around the screen. I mean, come on. That's that's the good stuff. Right? <laughs> Plus, it, like I said, it's also a very early example of um, sort of like, you know, very Yuri undertones. Uh, mm. So it was a big thing for like the... Uh, Yuri or girls love genre. So it's also very, very gay. <laughs> so uh, happy Pride, everybody. Watch some old shoujo. Yeah, I guess I guess we timed that somewhat well, PMC. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was int- it was playing that way. I and mean, we've been <laughs> podcasting about, about Witch for Mercury nonstop. So like, 
you That's know. True. Yeah. The, oh, my my little my my poor little Suleta. I just want what's best for her. I want nothing but the best for her. Dawn, are you caught up? Yes. Okay. I'm not yet. A, I didn't watch oh, today's episode. You didn't watch today's Don't, episode, folks. We're no, recording this uh, on a Sunday. So there has been Suleta. It's a Suleta Sunday. Maybe after this record, but Sunday won't be over by then. I know Mm. I jumped into Final Fantasy 16, so. See, uh, every Sunday I wake up, I get myself a bowl of cereal, and I immediately fire up that uh, crunchy roll. I'm right. (laughs) That's that's also what I did this morning as well. (laughs) Because I'm like, I can't look at Twitter unless I... I I, I have a I Discord watch. server that I need to moderate, but I can't read the Discord server if I haven't watched the episode yet. So that's a problem. Mm, yeah, that is a problem. Or just an excuse to keep up. <laughs> I lost my thought there. I just completely blanked. I just oh. I need to I need to watch it. Yeah. You do. I have nothing more you to do. add. I'm a fraud. Confirmed for the second time. <laughs> oh. in, the fir- in the first thirty minutes of this record. Oh. But listeners, Aim for the Ace has never been more readily available. Discotech released the first TV show on Blu-ray and the movie, which released, I think, the same month as Gunbuster did. It came out in mm-hmm. May, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when I when I got Gunbuster, it also had my my copy of the Aim for the Ace movie in there. And I was like, the girls, they're here. <laughs> Everybody's here. I love Discotech release dates because they don't really exist on right stuff. It says May 30th, but you'll get them like May 10th. Yeah. They always yeah. ship early, which is great. Yeah. Unless you're waiting on something else with your order. Yeah. That, that, then who knows? That's always unfortunate. <laughs> All right. So before we jump into the episode itself, we have a tradition on Giant Robot FM that we can finally return to with Gunbuster. Uh, I make it a, uh, I make sure to unearth some back-of-the-box summary from some dank-ass VHS release to introduce whatever episode <laughs> we're covering. Provided that the show we're covering is old enough. Um, but of mm-hmm. course, Gunbuster is. Gunbuster has a very early VHS release, 1990 to be precise. A lot of people believed or still believe that it was the first home video release of an anime in the States. That is incorrect. That would, It's Maddox, but I think it's, the, it's number two, um, which is surprising considering how unavailable Gunbuster was until recently. Yeah, I, I believe it was the first uh, subtitled anime. I mean, we had, like, anime that was, like, you know, edited for kids and, you know, released over here yeah. before that. But, uh, yeah, subtitled anime Maddox, I believe, was first by just a hair. Yeah. Now, PMC, would you do us the honors? Today's summary of episode one of Gunbuster comes to you courtesy of U.S. renditions circa 1990. Gunbuster tells the story of a beautiful young mecha pilot trainee, Noriko Takaya. As the daughter of a legendary space captain who was killed in battle, she struggles to continue her family's legacy by becoming a member of the Earth Space Force and joining in the war to defend Earth against an alien invasion. In segment one, Noriko struggles to master the skills of mecha combat. Much to everyone's surprise, she is selected to join Kazumi, the school's top student, and enter the Earth Space Force, but must first overcome her own self-doubt, as well as her first battle with a rival student. Two exclamation marks. I wish this summer is a little bit more 
centric or off the wall. This Sometimes is pretty we dry read some one. really strange summaries. Yeah. Yeah. What was the? Oh, it was the Macross Plus summaries were bonkers. I yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and check the U.S. renditions release of Giant Robo to see mm. if those summaries are equally as yeah. zany. Those could be. Those could go as places. Because those that first dub is a is a, is mm-hmm. a good time. Mm-hmm. It's wild. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh man, <laughs> that, that first dub. <laughs> oh, we, we really missed out though. We could have got like imagine a hypothetical first dub of Gunbuster by them. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that would have been wild. I would have loved. I would have loved to hear what kind of accent they would have give. Uh, <laughs> they would have given Yoon. Oh man, that'd be a trip. Or like Coach a, would have been Steve Bloom though. Coach would have just been swearing up a storm like the way they yeah. do at the beginning of the Giant Robo dub. God Co- damn it, Noriko, <laughs> you have to get into the gun buster. Noriko, get your shit together. <laughs> Coach would have just been Sid from Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, all right, so episode one, the title, and this is a mouthful. Shock, Big Sister and I are going to be pilots together, question mark, exclamation mark. Noriko Takaya recites her third grade report on her father while sentimental music plays. I think my daddy is one of the greatest men in the whole wide world. He works real hard to protect Earth from way, way up among the stars. Sometimes he likes to tell me about his special spaceship. He says it's probably the fastest one in the entire universe. It's called the Luxion, and it's made for battle. Not only that, but my daddy's the captain. Someday, when I grow up, I want to be the captain of a big, important spaceship just like him then we can be way way up among the stars together all right so i want to say at the very beginning it's like my first comment on gunbuster having returned to it um a few years after first watching it and i say this from a place of absolute love gunbuster is one of my favorite shows period there are times when gunbuster can feel immature even exploitative but I feel like the relationship between Noriko and her father is one of the show's beating hearts, second only to her relationship with Kazumi. Mm-hmm. I think Torin, I have like positive things to say about her relationship with Torin, but I feel like, and I'm biased here because I'm a father to two daughters, I feel like the, the father-daughter relationship is strong and really resonates for me personally. Like, Oh, yeah. Some might knock it for its simplicity, but I feel like tonally it fits the show like a glove. Because Gunbuster is a romance it's not a complex character study it just oozes pathos yeah yeah it's it's not like evangelion where you're really getting into the feelings and the heads of like these characters it's it's mostly just like your kind of surface level simplicity but that it's okay because it, it you know it works on that level like we're 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 just striking at the the most basic of like feelings here to to get you know, your heart pumping for this kind of show, which it works like really well. Like, I don't want to say that in the derogatory. I mean, that in a positive, like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's great that like with the, the simplicity of the story, you can still get these big feelings. And the, the stuff with the dad, like, honestly really spoke to me as, you know, somebody who grew up very close to her dad as well. Like, I was like, oh, man. Because you don't see a lot of anime where it's, uh, where it shows, like, a really close relationship between a father and a daughter. You don't see that very often. 
usually it's like the son and the father or the mother and the daughter. So it was nice to see something where like, you know, this this girl obviously had a extremely close relationship with her father. Yeah, it's also good to see like a mecha good dad too. Uh, Gunbuster's <laughs> not real. concerned about, we'll talk about like imperialism and Gunbuster, but ah, the, the dad's fine. He's, he seems like a good dad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we we only see the highlights and everything, but he seems like a fine father. Yeah, hopefully, like not in like the lore, he wasn't running a prison camp before he became like a pilot oh. or an admiral or something. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. I, I I would hope that the folks at Gynax were thinking that too deep about it. I doubt they were. Um, <laughs> we are going to be diving into some supplemental content. Um, I've started the novelization. The novelization is split into two parts. Uh, book one covers episodes one through three. I'm about halfway through that. It follows the anime, ver- the OVA, very closely. Um, mm-hmm. I heard mm-hmm. the part two changes something slightly, but there are some short stories about um, the father, the admiral. So I'm curious if they're how they mm-hmm. expand his characterization. Yeah, I never, I never went on to read those because I was like. Like, I I really got all I wanted out of the anime. Like, I don't think I really need any more. But it's nice that there are things out there for people who are like, no, I need more. Because I know that, you know, sometimes people, like, they get really invested in a thing and they're like, that's it, I need, but I need more of the thing. So, you know, they're like, okay, here's more of the thing. <laughs> Dawn, this is what we're talking about. This is anime podcaster disease. Um, I see the fan translated novels and short stories. I'm like, baby, that's content. <laughs> see, for the longest time, like when I did my podcast on Gunbuster, like people had asked me, like, did you ever watch Gunbuster 2? And I was like, no. Because mm. for the longest time, I was like, I really got everything I needed out of the original Gunbuster. I didn't think it really needed a sequel. Um, and plus I was like, I don't know, like, eh, it doesn't really look how I would have wanted a Gunbuster sequel to look. Um, but years later, I did finally actually watch <laughs> Gunbuster 2. Do you have, so do you have warm thoughts on Die Buster? PMC and I haven't seen it. I own a, I own a copy of it, I have, but hopefully we'll podcast about it someday. Um, short answer is I thought it was okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, the ending was great. That's, that's uh, you know, without spoiling too much, I'll say I really like the ending. Um, the rest of it, uh, eh, it was fine. <laughs> I like, as an anime fan, having, like, Gyna- premium Gynax OVAs that I haven't seen. Just the idea of having that content just makes me feel warm. Like, the mm. idea that, oh, there's a new Gynax OVA that I can check out at any time. Yeah, yeah. I will say the 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 music for Gunbuster Two is really good. Groove and Magic is a mm. plus banger opening. I believe that was Tanaka too, right? At least the music for the uh, the episodes, not the OP or the ending. Right, right. the The actual music for the the series proper, mm-hmm. I believe, is also Kohei Tanaka. Um, so it's a it's a lot of the same kind of feeling musically in that regard. Um, but uh, Groove and Magic is by Roundtable, I mm-hmm. think, or or Roundtable featuring Nino or something like that. Um, and it's a, just a fun pop tune, which fits because you know Gunbuster opens 
with a fun pop too. <laughs> so. so like I mentioned earlier, like when we first podcast about Gunbuster, probably was that PMC two or three years ago? Three? I want to say three years ago. Yeah. yeah. Fuck time. I mean, that's really the subtitle of the show too, time. <laughs> Gunbuster, fuck time, <laughs> man. <laughs> but back then I was married with no kids. I was living that sweet dink lifestyle. Um, but now I'm a father to two daughters. Uh, I have a daughter who's Aww. nearly two and a half and a daughter who is about th- almost three and a half months old. Uh, I was watching Aww. this episode with them. Uh, this this scene like fucking rips me apart. I, I don't know. It's like mm. sad dad. Come on, Steven. Tears don't, I'm, I am a sad dad. That's the thing. I am a sad dad. I was watching Strange New Worlds last night. I teared up at the ending of an episode. And nothing to do with daughters. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tear up at everything now. Hey, if anime has taught us nothing, it's that it's very manly to cry. That's true. That is true. I am an anime archetype at heart. Mm-hmm. I, I basically become Matthew McConaughey from Interstellar, Interstellar, just bawling my eyes out. And by the way, that Aww. that movie wrecks me too. I also feel like that movie is like live-action Gunbuster. It's a deeply flawed movie that I absolutely adore for its ambition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I think a lot of my friends were actually like, "Well, I'm off to watch the live action Gunbuster when they <laughs> when the movie came out." <laughs> a lot of people theorize that Nolan is secretly like a, like a weeb at heart and uh, takes a lot of inspiration from anime, but no one has been able to confirm that like a hundred percent. Because of course, there are some shots in um, Inception uh, that seem pulled right from Paprika, for example. Yeah, I was going to say that wouldn't surprise me considering Inception, but, uh, you know. Now we cut to December 20th, 2015. Ano, like we talked about during history episodes, just loves that date. Mm Mm-hmm. December 20th, 2015. Overcast skies. My father is gone. Forever. They tell me it happened yesterday. He was on a mission in deep space. Apparently the ship was attacked. Alien hostiles, they said. Or so the story goes. I'm not convinced. He's out there somewhere. That's what my heart says. One way or the other, I'm gonna find out. And I can think of no better way than following in his footsteps. And we got a really smart match cut here. We transitioned from the tactility of Noriko's book report to the newspaper reporting her father's death. Uh, it adds a lot of nice texture to the world, lots of flavor. It's very efficient storytelling. Like this intro tells us all we need to know about Noriko in like just under two minutes. And uh, having watched the dub now several times, I want to give a shout out to Keane Chula King, who right out the gate, like knocks out of the park. She really demonstrates her vocal range by convincingly playing the part of an elementary school-age Noriko without sounding like a bit. It sounds honest and authentic, and then immediately mm. aging up for a much more sober and serious Noriko. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked who they chose for Noriko for the dub. I think she was fantastic in this. Like, from the get-go, from... Like you said, scene one, I was like, okay, yeah, this is Noriko. This is great. And I got to hand it to Disco Tech and, oh, Sound Cadence Studios. I, I think I'm getting mm-hmm. the name slightly wrong. Um, for no, choosing, Sound Cadence. Was I right? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, for choosing an unknown. Um, I can't wait to see what she does in the future. Because as of now, I think she only has like two other credited roles from shows mm-hmm. I have never heard of before. So I'm hoping we see a bunch of her in the future. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When um, they did a they did a rap party for the dub actors on um, the I think it was the director's Twitch account, and that was so much fun to watch because they were all. Uh, like a lot of the main cast was there. Uh, oh. It was it was Noriko, it was Kazumi, Coach, and the scriptwriter and the director, I believe. And uh, it was fun to listen to them talk about um, how how much fun they had, like on working on the show, and uh, you know some of the behind the scenes stuff. It was very entertaining. <laughs> I believe the director of the dub, and correct me if I'm mistaken, is Natalie Van Sistine, the the voice actress of Miorine from Witch for Mercury. Oh, yep, that's right. Yeah. yeah, there's a few there's a few G Witch connections here. The other big one, of course, being mm-hmm. Bradley Gareth, being both coach and Ghoul Jaturk. Oh, Ghoul. Speaking speaking of other precious people who must be protected. Yes. <laughs> yeah, remember Bob, everyone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that haircut, of course, too. Mm-hmm. Oh. The hair was not protected. The hair is lost, but, you know, we sold you. Yeah, the hair is in witness right. protection program right now. <laughs> <laughs> the mullet's behind bars. No, not the mullet. <laughs> the mullet's now like Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas. Just oh, like no. locked in suburbia. <laughs> The pink part is uh, off being uh, a hair for another anime protagonist. Yes, that's right. <laughs> was, oh, that's this, some good fan this art hair, This hair was used to make a wig for, you know, for the newest protagonist in such and such series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that wig, um, like a fire, you know, the weird ass fire emblem designs, the mm. Colgate design from the most recent game. The Colgate design. And everyone knows yeah, what you're talking about. Basically, loan loan that his hair, his mullet to any fire from the character fit right in. <laughs> oh, oh, that would be perfect. We're deep in the references. Yeah, too. we want, we want. I mean, but that's appropriate for this show, though. As we've already said, this it's true. This true. is a very referential piece of uh, media. Mm-hmm. It's true. This is also just so fucking Anno too, and I'm I'm super Anno pilled. I just love his directorial uh, sensibilities. So I was I was actually surprised going back, like because I just watched rewatched Shin Godzilla and Shin Kamen Rider, and I got here and I was like, oh yeah. damn! Like even at the first thing, his signature flourishes as a director here right from the beginning. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. He loves the use of uh, what the government is doing. Uh, to to tell a story about the world and what is happening, and he loves big text on screen. I'm, I'm still upset about Shin Godzilla, the U.S. release, which takes them out of the cut that's on the Blu-ray. I want uh, the yeah. complete version. I I don't understand why that why it was like that because it wasn't in the theatrical version. Yeah, such an odd choice. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't know. Uh, cause didn't Funimation release that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Funimation seems to have had like weird inconsistencies with uh, <laughs> Anno Anno connected anime. Uh, see the rebuild movies. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. 
but yeah, yeah, he he's been a fan of that for pretty much since the beginning, and um, since he's a fan of stuff like uh, the the Ultraman series and Kamen Rider, it's not terribly surprising uh, because they kind of use that kind of stuff in them as well. But he kind of like takes it to a whole different level, right? He he sort of overblows it a a little bit he's like we must make it bigger (laughs) that's why (laughs) that's why i love the flashback episode of ava so much because you're just reading like newspaper clippings at a certain point yep yep but also it, it it's smart though in a way because it also because we're working with limited animation is a very quick shorthand way to get a lot of the backstory and the storytelling out there without having to animate a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean that's one of Guy Max's uh, trademarks, and um, I, I I think it really sings. I really like it. Mhm, mhm. It's smart. Like he, you know, he's he's using his brain. <laughs> yeah, I think this kind of storytelling is really fun to point out and to point out as a style. Uh, I always like to turn the conversation to dank video games. I'm going to do that real quick to say this is you know very reminiscent of, for example, Half-Life 2's storytelling, where most yeah. of the background world building is accomplished here by newspaper clips on people's walls. You know, it's the same kind of mm-hmm. thing. So the player has the option to see these things or, or not, you know, as the case may be. Some of that's burned it's into true. my memory. PMC, is that the seven years, the yes. seven day war? That's correct, sir. You yeah. got it. Hedy Lamar. <laughs> uh, that's uh, there's a certain point like if i watched something or played something non-stop in high school like i could just quote halo two lines mm-hmm. to beat the band <laughs> oh, 100%. Um, that stuff is burned in my memory why, why did master chief mm-hmm. cross the street to give the covenant back their bomb yeah i know hell yeah <laughs> that line would actually work in gunbuster too <laughs> it would it would it would honestly Kojima is another director who loves this shit too, like highlighting oh, yeah. the bureaucratic minutia modernity. It's one of the reasons why I love Kojima so much. I would love to see the two. You know, it'd be like, oh man, a great triumvirate: Oshi, Kojima, and Ano. It's a lot. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of ego in one, one room. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, <laughs> but it would be interesting for sure. All those dudes love a big bold font. <laughs> they acronyms. do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And government stuff. All three of them. Oh, man. Now I'm just jonesing to play some MGS2. That's what happens when I'm recording a podcast about Anu or Oshi. Oh. I mean, I'm thinking about Pat Labor 2 all weekend for a variety of reasons. Ugh, aim for the top. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a bad snake. I'm sorry. You know what? If uh, Gunbuster got a dub in the 90s, there's a small chance that David Hayter would have had a role. Oh yeah, truly, truly, because he was dubbing anime. Yeah, yeah, he uh, on like the War in the Pocket dub, and mm-hmm. he was Tomahome and Fushigi Yugi. Oh man! Also, <laughs> Brian Cranston could have been in Gunbuster. Oh my god! Could you imagine? I just that need would to be get amazing. I just need someone to harass, not like too strongly, but like bother Cranston about his anime roles at a convention. Just like get his response on video. I, I would love to get the chance to, like, go to a convention where he was at, pay the, like, whatever, the $20 to get an autograph, stand patiently in line, and hand him my Macross Plus Volume yeah. 1 VHS tape and see what he says. Yeah. 
He's not too <laughs> active on Twitter, but we added him a few times when we were watching Mac, where we were covering Macross Plus to see if we get a reaction, but nothing. I think he was too busy p- promoting the LB- LBJ film that he was in at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he's got <laughs> important stuff mm-hmm. to do now. Plus, he's a smart man and stays off of Twitter a lot. Yeah, yeah. some actors are too smart for that. <laughs> That's why Mads Mikkelsen will never know about the vodka thing. He just stays clear of it. <laughs> he didn't even know. He didn't even know who Rihanna was. His children had to tell him who Rihanna was. What's the? They were robo- like, Dad. They were like, Dad. If you don't do this, this fucking music video, we are going to disown you. <laughs> What's the uh, like, Rogue One right. meme? It's a peaceful life. That's just mm-hmm. Mads all That's the right. time. All the time. Twenty four seven. He's just hanging out with Kojima sometimes. Yeah, true. I wonder if he's still Drinking. in New York. Ko- I, Ko- speaking of someone who can't get off Twitter, Kojima. Oh, right. Oh my god. But I just love to see like what movie, like what shitty movie he's watching and loving the hell out of. People got mad at me when I brought up the fact that he loves the movie Twilight. Oh, I I like the movie Twilight a lot, and I could definitely see Kojima liking it a lot too. He absolutely loved it. He he freaking uh, judged a fan art, a Twilight fan art contest once. Hell yeah! Like, and also he has very good taste. He was he was Team Jacob. Mm, nice. But that's because he likes werewolves. So that's true. Big surprise. Uh, but like. People, when I was tweeting about that, like, a long time ago, like, people came into my notifications going, like, are you sure he's not just joking? <laughs> that's, and I'm like, no. Don, that's a great impression of someone, like, slipping into your notifications. Like, that that's the voice <laughs> I imagine in my head. Yeah, it's just, you know, random dudes who are like, huh, but my, but my hero. <laughs> we call them Twitter drive-bys. Uh, Gundam Twitter is <laughs> right. notorious. Gundam Twitter and Code Geass Twitter are notorious for this. I mean, half of anime Twitter is probably guilty of that, so no surprise. But not, yeah. Not Gunbuster Twitter, though. <laughs> I'll tell no. you that right now. No. Most, like, 99.9% of Gunbuster Twitter is very wholesome and good. Speaking of wholesome and good, this can be an awkward transition to the legacy of World War II. Um, I say this oh. sarcastically, but I feel like oh. <laughs> I feel like the shadow of World War II. I'm speaking as an American, of course, looms large over this opening. Like obviously, mm. there are a lot of Norikos who lost fathers in the war. I feel like this scene taps into the spirit of defeat that permanently shaped post-war Japan. Mm-hmm. And I should bring up at this point, like I don't think it blunts Gunbuster's themes at all, but there is an undercurrent of nationalism in some of Anno's works, Shin Godzilla oh, yeah. in particular. That's definitely a point of contention for some people. There is there's very little primary source information from Anno on Gunbuster because when Anno was Anno was doing a lot of interviews in the mid '90s, all anyone ever wanted to talk about was Ava. So once people mm-hmm. there are a few times when people got him on record talking about Gunbuster, but it's usually a, like a quick paragraph or two before they talked about Ava. Um, and he gave an interview in '96, and he mentions Gunbuster's alternative future, and he says, "quote In the year 2000, the U.S. and Japan had a war." and Japan occupied Hawaii. Sorry. End quote. I'm sure he was being a little glib there. I'm, I'm not judging him for that quote. Um, but if you look at it closely, um, and even not so closely at times, like the nationalism is there. It's, it's mostly relegated to the background, but I think it's still worth pointing out. Mm. In Gunbuster's case, I don't think it's egregious. Uh, Chin Godzilla's case can be a little distracting, but I feel like it doesn't 
detract or distract from the experience. If I were to put it kindly, I would say it's lightly imperialistic window dressing, um, which makes it even sound more like Top Gun, which I think is appropriate. Oh, yeah, considering that, uh, you know, the... The, the title of the series is based off of Aim for the Ace and Top Gun. Yeah. There's a great series of posts on a defunct blog by Anime Critic, or actually no, it's pronounced Anime Critique, um, that explores this imperialism in Gunbuster episode by episode. It's a super interesting read. I can't really vouch for the person um, because they've been, they have disappeared from the internet since then, um, but they've done good work here, and these articles are well worth reading if you're interested in it. Um, mm-hmm. It, for example, in episode two, they're in a space station that used to be an American space station. You can see in the background because like the space uh, space shuttle Apollo is landing on the moon. Um, the ending of episode one is just, <laughs> I feel like I'm watching a commercial for like Japan um, with like Mount Fuji <laughs> yeah. erupting in the background. I mean, they they fly on a JLA branded rocket. Yeah. To the space station. <laughs> And again, I don't, I'm not speaking with first-hand knowledge either. I'm speaking as an American with only a cursory knowledge of the time period. But again, it's still worth pointing out. Um, if you've ever seen an OVA from the 80s, it's all over the place. Take Pat Labor, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's similar to, like, you know, early 80s uh, action movies where it was like, you know, basically, America, fuck yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, you know, it, it's basically like, Japan, yay! Like... That's about the extent of it. It's not like super um, hardcore leaning into nationalist stuff. It's like you said, it's mostly just window dressing. Yeah. Something else that I, I noticed too upon rewatching this, like the beginning of Gunbuster really stresses the hero's journey. Like if I were watching Gunbuster for the first time, I, I would think, okay, six episodes. This is going to be your standard like Bildungsroman. You have Noriko, inexperienced, callow. She's young. She wants to follow in her footsteps, become a space pilot. I can't help. I'm Star Wars pilled on, so I can't help but think about Obi-Wan talking to <laughs> Luke in A New Hope when he says, you know, your father was the best star pilot in the galaxy. I hear you're a pretty good pilot yourself. Um, the reason why I want to point that out is because Gunbuster really evolves beyond that. And I feel like that's a credit to Anno reworking Okada and Yamaga's scripts to make Gunbuster something really special in the end. Yeah, truly. Uh, it, it definitely does pull from those things for sure, but, uh, I think it's like you said, like, it kind of goes beyond that and comes into its own, uh, sort of similar to, um, when I wrote about how it's, you know, the roots of Gunbuster are in Aim for the Ace, you know, by the end of the second episode, like, they've kind of put all the Aim for the Ace references aside and it turns into its own thing it kind of grows from there into something new and interesting and different um which i think is the mark of like uh, a gynax production right like they they definitely pull from a lot of things that they love especially these earlier works but they wear the references on their sleeves until they're like okay well we're ready to take this jacket off and now it's we're ready to you know put on a different one and it's going to be our own and completely different we're going to put our own mark on it it's kind of like uh you know giving someone a present where it's uh a russian doll actually where outside you know it looks like one thing but then 
the deeper inside you go, it starts turning into something else, which I think is very appropriate for Gunbuster. <laughs> totally. There, there is a very, like Okada's initial treatment, which you talked about in our history episode, is just Gunbuster straight parody, which I imagine would have been a lot flatter as like a narrative work. Um, but I would still be interested to like to read those scripts or in an alternate reality, actually watching that show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like if they were to do a, maybe not a reboot, but like a, like, I don't know, spinoff or something. <laughs> Shin like Gunbuster. Al- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not Shin Gunbuster, but just a spin-off of like just the like almost like the uh the science school lessons, but just like straight up comedy throughout. Like like you know how uh Evangelion has all those like parody mm. manga like endless parody manga like so many parody manga like just do a parody gunbuster tv show <laughs> yeah gunbuster girlfriends of steel or girl girlfriend of steel i can't remember it's plural singular i think it's girlfriend yeah it is yeah, singular steel yeah <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be uh it, it would be kind of fun because a lot of shoujo manga has like you know little comedic uh spin-off series like i know glass mask has a bunch of like uh comedic spin-off like manga and they also had like some short comedic uh spin-off anime as well so it would fit since it's you know basically based off of a shoujo property mm. <laughs> so why not just make a silly little like oh it's a parody of gunbuster teehee that would be cute yeah studio car would do it so I don't want the current iteration of uh, Gynax touching Gunbuster oh, with a no. 10-foot pole. No. Oh, my God. How the mighty have fallen over the years, huh? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's only like, like five dudes, five salary men in an office just controlling whatever rights they still have. Yeah. <laughs> They're basically just licensors at this point, right? Yeah. They're like, how many things can we sell with Evangelion faces on it? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> We need money. <laughs> All right. PMC might and I might come to blows here, but we get our opening theme, uh, Active Heart by Noriko Sakai. Um, I was pretty, I remember being pretty down on Active Heart. Like I had my, I have my old notes from way back <gasps> when. And, but I, I, I'm. Blasphemy. I, well, don't worry, Dawn. We're on the same page, because it has really grown on me. Um, it really pumps me up. Like I was really energized the first time I watched it again. Like it's a great get up and go song. Uh, it reminds me yeah. a lot of Seven O'clock News. You're a Kodacha fan, right, Don? Oh yeah, yeah. That that opening rips. Like that opening is like oh, all time yeah. top three openings for me. Active Heart doesn't reach those heights, but it's it's poppy, it's synthy, catchy, it's very eighties. Oh, it's one of my top favorites for certain. Anytime I go out. Uh, karaokeing, I always do this as one of oh, my songs. Cool. That's a good choice. If I have one complaint, I feel like it's too similar to the ending theme and tone. Like, I know it's a, I'm playing into a meme here, but I do prefer when a show's opening and ending contrast in tone and style. And I feel like that's not the case here because the ending is totally, yeah. you know, very pe- catchy too. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not, like, super into the ending theme. It's It's cute, but meh. I like the opening like so much better though. Um, when, when I was young, I used to have that on. You know, this is how 
how long ago this was. Uh, I used to have a workout playlist on my iPod. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, this was on it. <laughs> what else, Dawn? What else was on there? Uh oh my god, so many things. Uh, Britney's "You Better Work, Bitch" and uh, fucking. Oh, a bunch of Gurren Lagann stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I still listen to, like, my my mixes from high school. Like, I'll still listen to Decisive Battle when I'm running on the treadmill or any of the Final Fantasy battle themes or Tank from Bebop, you know, the standard set. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, my God. I haven't... <laughs> I haven't even thought about my iPod in so long. I bet if I dug it up, it would be like, <laughs> what was the last thing you were listening to in uh, tw- 2009? <laughs> I had an MP3 player. I had a Creative Zen Stone that I listened to a lot in like 2008. And I'm sure that is somewhere and it is a horrible time capsule. Can only imagine. <laughs> Rem- remember Aww. listening to podcast on a mp3 player but you have to download it on your computer and then transfer it to the mp3 yep. player if you so chose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. such a pain in yeah the that ass. was that was the only reason i had itunes was so it would automatically download podcasts yeah. onto my ipod that was a lifesaver back in the day Ugh. now we have to have everything on our phones so I think I think I'm sliding off this one, and I don't know like what specific wires in my brain got crossed, but I watched this OP, and I very specifically had a had a signal go off in my brain that said, "Why aren't you watching the Pat Labor Early Days OP instead?" And and like <laughs> for whatever reason, I just I want this song to be that song. It's not a sound criticism. I wouldn't call that you know music criticism by any by any means, but. Uh, I don't know. Like nothing's hooking for me with this one. I think the the timbre is fine. It's effective. It's good backing music for the scenes. But most of the scenes, as you know, are, are scenes from these early episodes. You know, uh, uh, Noriko charging towards the screen, that sort of thing. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just couldn't. I couldn't get this. I always say this when I first watch an OP. Chances are, in four weeks, I'll be like, actually, you know what? This one rules. I'm an idiot. But uh, that's where <laughs> I am now. We also with this opening, we get what. Uh Many fans lovingly refer to as the Gynax bounce. Yeah, a lot of Gynaxing here. Mm-hmm. This is where it all started, folks. And that's where we go back to fan service. <laughs> yeah, I guess this would be ground zero for Gynaxing because Royal Space Force was a different beast, and that has that has some yeah. own problematic content, yeah. but yeah, not in the form of Gynaxing. Own, that has its own stuff. Yeah, uh... The, the Noriko bouncing and, and uh, you know, uh, occasional nip slips are uh, light fan service. And honestly, it never really bugged me because I was like, well, she's in her pajamas. Like, that happens to me when I'm in my pajamas. So, like, I get it. Um, but I know it is, like, there because, you know, the dudes were like, tee-hee-hee, booby. <laughs> But at the same time, I was like, eh, it's pretty harmless. I mean, uh, especially compared to, like, the fan service we see now <laughs> when when it comes to, like, you know, this kind of, like, you know, titillating fan service. Um, I feel like uh, in comparison, this is pretty innocent. Yeah, I have a note later, which is just exactly what you said, Dawn. Like, I'm so desensitized to it in Gunbuster. I, I doesn't bother me at all. My only note is, you know, if you were to recommend Gunbuster to someone who hasn't watched anime before or inviting them over to your house to watch the six-episode OVA, uh, I try to give, like, normies a heads up for what they're about to expect. 
<laughs> you might see an occasional titty. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, the only thing is, like, technically they're, like, kind of, like, on the, the borderline of age here. True. Um, <laughs> it's the age thing. Yeah, because I was going to say, there's plenty of, plenty of this in, in pop media at large, uh, but, but she is 15. Yeah. So it's, like, mm, that is a little, like, ugh. But, like, at the same time, like, I think since I saw it so young, it didn't really register me to me as weird because I was like, this is just how anime is, you know. <laughs> Plus, I was just like, yeah, I mean, they're in a bath. They're going to be naked, you know, <laughs> instead of, you know, me thinking like, well, why did they put it in the bath? It's so they could be naked. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I'm the same way with Ava because I watched Ava at the perfect age, which is 13, you're same age as the rest of the kids. And like, if you vibe mm -hmm. with Ava at that age, it's burned into your brain. It's a part of your oh, being. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what if we ever get around to podcasting, it's something I'll wrestle with. But again, since I'm so desensitized to it, I'll be like, yeah, I mean, I understand the issues some people have with it. But also, again, I can't really, like, it's, it's a part of me. Yeah, same, same. Uh, I've told people before, I'm like, uh, if you've never been depressed or had depression or anxiety or anything like that, you probably won't really like even Killian. <laughs> Especially if you were a never depressed, if you were a happy teenager, you probably won't like even Killian. <laughs> yeah, you'll like the scenes when Decisive Battle starts playing and the mechs show up. Yeah, you'll be like, ooh, a cool robot, wow. <laughs> and then you'll be like, God, why is this kid sad all the time? Why is this kid sad? Why are all these kids sad? <laughs> this, I think, I think I once watched Ava as a teenager, and I feel like that is that was my experience watching Ava. But I, I remember so little of it that I'm effectively going to be watching it for the first time if and when we get around mm -hmm. to it. And so I'm very, <laughs> very curious. Well, as uh, as someone who was a sad teenager and continues to be a somewhat sad <laughs> and anxious adult. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm a, a Evangelion apologist. I'm sorry, Shinji Protection Squad forever. <laughs> totally, I'm right there with you. We'll get matching T-shirts. Yeah, I do have a sticker that says Shinji Protection Squad. Ooh, that's very good. Because uh, you know, I will fight for that little boy. <laughs> people people rag on him all the time, and I'm like, no, you leave him alone. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, he's the precious little boy. He's the anti-meme. He got into the robot, everyone. He got into the robot. I literally, that's the first thing I tell people. I'm like, he got in the robot in episode one. <laughs> Stop saying that. I hate it. <laughs> it. It makes me legitimately upset sometimes. I mean, I get it's a joke at this point, but <laughs> there were times where I was like, literally that happens in the first episode did did you not watch it D were you were you not there <laughs> yeah one of the original uh, names for this podcast was going to be get in the robot exclamation mark but we uh, pmc and i discovered that it was already taken yeah someone else took that already yeah yeah uh not terribly surprising yeah this was ages ago too like five six years ago wow time flies time am i right folks what is it time sucks <laughs> Yeah, t fuck time. Fuck time. <laughs> um, which, which, uh, uh, that in the derogatory sense, not we're, we don't want to fuck time. It's fuck yeah, time. It's true. That's another anime. 
<laughs> yeah, that's completely different anime. The, the tweeting style thing recently where people will do like statement parentheses, like tone of statement absolutely kills yeah. me. So I'm just imagining now like fuck time parenthesis derogatory. Derogatory. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's the episode title PMC. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations, Dawn. Congratulations, everyone's derogatory. Yeah. clapping around. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. It's funny, we, we're, we're podcasting right as we had an Evangelion tweet like released into the wild, which <laughs> has to do with Wes Anderson watching Ava and his thoughts, but it's really, we didn't initially attribute it to Gwyneth Paltrow, so our notifications are just filled with a lot of people um, bashing Wes Anderson for not watching episodes 25 and 26 of Evangelion, <laughs> despite the fact that that's not confirmed. I, I bet Gwyneth Paltrow had no idea how many episodes of uh, Evangelion there were. She she probably was like, well, we skipped that recap episode. True, yeah. <laughs> Even though you should still watch it, there's stuff in there. Yeah, you should watch Death and Rebirth too. Oh, good honor. Um, speaking of names, though, lots of Noriko's worked on Gunbuster. Nor- Noriko Sakai is a singer and actress who's been active in the industry with a brief pause in the late aughts due to a drug scandal because Japan... Um, since mm-hmm. 1986. So she was still early in her career when Gunbuster um, first came out. Uh, and- yeah, I think that I think that was her, like, one of her debut singles, actually. Um, and it turned out to be really popular. Yeah. Go figure. I couldn't, I, I was trying to track down, because we did our history episode, I always try to track down all the information I can on individual soundtrack releases. I couldn't find, like, a, an exclusive single album um, for this i think it was included on the first soundtrack i think that's maybe mm-hmm. as tanaka did the music and noriko did the lyrics but i cannot confirm them just guessing here that's mm, possible um but usually when they have like a pop singer who does like an uh an op like it's usually released by their record label separately yeah and just with like with like the like oh you could also hear this on Gunbuster. Woo! You know. Kind of like, uh, I have a... <laughs> nerd time! I have a 45 single of... Uh, of um, Mari Ijima's Do You Remember Love? Ooh. And uh, on one side, it's just a photo of her uh, with, the, with the title of the song. And then uh, if you flip it over, there's like uh, an illustration of... Um, it, well, it's a photo of her again, but she's holding an illustration of Lynn Min May. Of Lynn Min May. <laughs> God. <laughs> My brain was just like, can't remember name. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, on the flip side, it's just her holding a picture of Lynn Min May with the, with the B-side mm-hmm. title, I believe. Um, but yeah. Uh, it doesn't have like a big like, oh, I'm across. Like, it's just like very subtly like, oh, also from macross you know mm. on the back so it could be that kind of case where it was just released under her name instead of like you know a gunbuster thing um that's a good question though but i remember that like it was very early in her career and uh it was pretty popular especially after the um the anime came out and all the nerds were like yeah gunbuster <laughs> the karaoke the karaoke bars were filled with gunbuster that night Yes, I mean, if if I was there, it that would happen because I, like I said, it's a karaoke favorite for me. It's it's a it's a jam. 
But that's only one Noriko. We've got two others who worked on the show. We got Noriko Hidaka, uh, her voice actress, and Noriko Takaya, a, uh, her namesake, a Gainax employee, and as it turns out, Shinji Higuchi's wife. Um, which I guess is the real inspiration, which is nice because Shinji Higuchi, that is where the name Shinji comes from. That is confirmed by multiple sources. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm curious if they're still together because we'll talk about Okada's wife. They divorced in the late 90s. I wonder if Shiguchi is still with his wife. I'm not sure. I I can't help but uh, uh, I'm sure you know him too, our, our friend, Mr. Grant the Thief. Mm. Uh, every time he... <laughs> I hear the name Shinji Iguchi. I just hear him saying the Gooch. <laughs> wait, wait. I'm sorry. I need to go back on something there, Stephen. Did you say Okada is divorced? Yes. So the character in Blue Blazes that was his future wife, was that the person who he's now divorced from? I think so. So that comedy just- bit in that show, which would have been made after they were divorced, is about her getting him not to do a panty shot as a joke in the in the 80s i think so because okay. all right that's so much Kazumi funnier Okada now because they're divorced now <laughs> it's, yeah so a quick google search turned up hazmi okada spouse toshi okada marry 1989 divorce 1999 wow blue blazes makers that's what a swing that's yeah. funny okay <laughs> that's a good bit that's a bit now yeah that's a bit um, I mean, Blue Blazes is so funny. Yeah, it Blue is. Uh, uh, but yeah, um, uh, you were saying the voice actress Noriko. Mm. She she also I I knew her before this before I watched Gunbuster as the voice of Akane from Ranma One Half. Okay, that tracks. Because I was like, oh, I recognize that voice as Akane. Because, you know, I by that time, I had probably watched like a billion episodes of Ranma. <laughs> yeah, I watched a fair bit of Ranma back in the day in many a basement, but I think I watched it dubbed. Which explains why she's so good at screaming. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> um, Shinji Gucci's wife um, like, is the real deal, too. Um, she's done a lot of animation work. Um, she worked on Gunbuster. She's worked a lot with Studio Ghibli over the years. She last worked on The Rin Rises. She's credited for Harmony. I'm not really quite sure what that is. Dawn, do you know what that is? Uh, Harmony Cell is what we like to call the um, postcard memories. Okay. Uh, scenes from, say, like, uh, like Dezaki anime, uh, where it's like that one really beautiful sort of like watercolor picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of like uh, is just like a, a still shot. Uh, you've seen it in like um, Ashtano Joe and uh, lots of classic stuff. Like uh, it's that it's that thing where there'll be a scene and then all of a sudden it like everything stops and it's just that still shot and it's like a beautiful almost watercolor looking painting. So she must be uh, someone who does those. Yeah, and I'm in Ghibli films. There are not too many harmony shots, so it must be a pretty sweet like freelancing gig. Stop by the office for a few days, knock a few out. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be pretty nice. Like, what do you do? Well, I'm in the anime business, but I just do really pretty paintings of one shot. Yeah, <laughs> I stop by Ghibli for a week. Miyazaki yells at me, and then I leave. I can leave. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's like I. 
A few years ago at a con, one of my local cons, we had a female animator who she she worked a lot on uh, Ghibli stuff. So mm-hmm. she had she'd worked with both Miyazaki and Takahata, and she was telling all these stories, uh, saying in as nice of a way as possible that they were both really hard to work for <laughs> because. They wouldn't, like, they both had different uh, ways of animating. Like, Miyazaki would immediately be like, no, you did all this wrong. You have to redo this, 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 and this. And it would be just, like, the tiniest things. He would literally, like, erase things and be like, you have to do it like this. And then he'd erase what he just showed her and be like, okay, now you do it. He, He would just be like, the nose needs to be, like, further down the eyes need to be further up or they need to be bigger the you know the hair needs to be poofier you know it would just be like tiny 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 microscopic little things and it would drive her insane uh but with Takata it was like you'd put something on his desk and they learned if it sat on his desk for more than a day that meant he thought you didn't do it right and you had to take it back to your desk and redo it again and you had to keep doing that until it disappeared from his desk and then you knew you got it right. Interesting. That that's tr- And I was like, that would drive me crazy. <laughs> that, that would. You described the nightmare is what you just described. <laughs> right? That's a Kafka but short you- story. <laughs> but she was like, you know, it was a, a really, you know, it was great working on all those great Ghibli films. <laughs> They're both masters. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like... Uh, you know, not to go on too much of a tangent, but she was also talking about how, like, on Castle of Cagliostro, because she worked on that too, uh, no one was allowed to draw Fujiko Mine but Miyazaki. Oh. And he would get and he would get mad if someone tried to draw her. <laughs> that? Because he'd be like, you, you guys don't know how to do it. <laughs> that tracks with something Oshi said about Miyazaki, basically calling him, like, Stalin just for his very domineering personality and, like, workplace presence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true, it's true. Every every story I've heard is just like, man, he sounds like a beast to have to work with. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to work for him, and I also wouldn't want to be his son. Oh. I don't want to be Goro. Poor Goro. But, poor, poor guy. But yeah. The, but anyway. Noriko Takai, <laughs> uh, not the character, the, the animator, might be working on wrapping up How Do You Live? We ha- would have no idea because we won't know what that film is until it comes out. Yeah, because they were like, eh, we don't need to show you. You'll see it anyway. <laughs> Which, as it, And it's like, yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You're right. It's a baller move. Yeah. It's like, damn, you're right, but damn. <laughs> So we open at the nor- or we open on the Okinawa High School for Girls, a Japanese military academy. Scores of aspiring cadets are training in their mecca. So many nice visual touches here. The animators and storyboarders at Gainax, they always have an excellent eye for de- a detail. I really like the RX-7 mechs doing push-ups as other units hold their <laughs> yes. knees down. The whole tableau is super endearing. It makes this feel like a high school gym class, which it basically mm-hmm. is yeah it basically is they're they're tra- they're they're basically trying to train them to feel like the mechs are like a natural extension of their bodies but it <laughs> but it's so ridiculous and silly just like 
you know, these mechas like doing laps around a, a track and like you said, the 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 push-up thing is just like so silly. <laughs> but it's fun and cute. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to it. I was just like, oh, this is way different than most of the mecha stuff I'd seen in the past. It's like it's cute and fun. It doesn't seem to be taking itself too seriously right now, which I thought was great. Yeah, it almost feels like they're they're doing this as a as a bit to like I I find myself wondering, knowing now about the aim for the ace connections without having seen aim for the ace, I wonder like, oh, you know, are, are there montage shots like this of students around the academy, you know, doing various oh, exercises yeah. just like this, and they're sort of aping that with mechs, which is actually mm -hmm. effective for the setting, as you just said, uh, Don. You know, they're learning to use the mechs as an extension of their body, as they would their own bodies, uh, but like. It also really uh, goes the full length because it starts with exercise, then it goes to like the cheerleading pyramid, and then it goes to mm -hmm. uh, Mean Girls uh, bullying Noriko, and they're like still doing all the motions, like all the physicality of bullying is present yes. in what they're doing with the mechs, which is incredible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Folks, have you ever had a girl just bully you from, from a yeah, mech? Yeah, like what's up with that? <laughs> It, it it is really cute and like you see the little like um the interior screens popping up just like with their with their little faces getting all mad and stuff and it's just really funny like uh before this like i don't think i can recall ever anything similar happening in a in a mecha thing that i had seen before it was all very brand new and cute and fun <laughs> And the RX-7 is even painted like a like a gym outfit, you know? Like, the, these could be gym uniforms. Yeah! Totally. Like, uh, the they have the little tops and the bottoms uh, that look like they could be, like, you know, uh, gym bloomers and gym shirts. Yeah, Dawn, I am a high school teacher, an English teacher, not a gym teacher, but I wish I could just take <laughs> a walk during my prep period, like, out into the fields and, like, watch a bunch of mechs training. Wouldn't that be funny? You don't you don't moonlight as a coach, Steven? No, I joke all the time. There's always open positions. You don't want Steven Hero uh, coaching the football team. We have a notoriously bad football team. Um, we have a great Aww. swim team. Well, if you know the demographics of my school, yeah. it tracks totally. I, I'm we nodding a, to everything Steven's yeah. saying here. Like, yeah, I bet. I bet, buddy. I know where that is. We have a good tennis team. Um, we have a good swimming team. And we have a decent basketball team. Not We have a awful football team <laughs> the football team could well, use hey. some x <laughs> well hey you got a good tennis team so they're they're primed for aim for the aceness true our tennis team is almost too good like ridiculously good nice almost like a, a like a a sports anime just like was that's how super powered they are hey there you go all right i got some rx7 maybe, maybe oh <laughs> maybe they've been watching their uh their aim for the ace and their prince of tennis dvd mm, yeah no prince of tennis is is good to bring up all my students are not watching any of this shit though they're all watching <laughs> demon slayer and they might uh, of course have just recently um discovered what trigun is because of pop cultural uh. osmosis but that's it. Mm -hmm. So wait, are you? T well, I was gonna say, are you, are you telling me that your students know about Bigelow's Nicholas now, or is that? <laughs> I bet I'm, I'm theorizing. But again, it, it's generational gaps because they're yeah. not on Twitter. Right, right, right. But I think Bigelow's Nicholas has ascended Twitter. Um, I think like everyone knows uh, about Bigelow's Nicholas. Yeah. Someone 
like I mentioned it and I uh, on Twitter and someone was like, wait, you know who Nicholas Nicholas is? And I was like, how can I not? I'm on Twitter. It's funny. My mother-in-law's over now. She's putting the kids to bed. I just imagined her like, I wonder what Stephen Hero is doing. Probably serious podcasting <laughs> and just hearing through the, my, the walls, Bigless Dickless. <laughs> the words Bigless Dickless. <laughs> <laughs> serious podcaster, folks. I think the first time I ever said that oh, out loud, my partner just kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? I, look, I get caught by that stuff all the time because I my my wife was having me watch all the Ant-Man films. And before we watched the third one, I had to sit her down and explain to her that whenever I see Paul Rudd on screen, all I can think of <laughs> is is new Tane. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then I had to show her the Tane, the Tane skit. And she's like, what's wrong with you? see when i hear paul rudd all i can think of because i'm uh, weird and old is his ongoing uh running gag with uh conan o'brien about pulling the lever to see the mac (laughs) (laughs) that that's a great bit that and him in um clueless Mm, oh yeah that's a good role good movie too because I love that movie. He's also in that Super Nintendo control, uh, Super Nintendo commercial, not the Super Nintendo controller. He's not in a Super Nintendo controller. <laughs> Help! I'm stuck in the Super Nintendo controller and I can't get out. That's another Kafka short story. <laughs> Starring Paul Rudd, coming this fall to Netflix, and it'll last one season and be canceled halfway through. True. Anyway, I got some uh, RX7 facts for you all. Um, I'm going to tweet one of these out. I know I'm going to get a lot of resistance because it's like been imprinted on the community that the RX-7 is named after the RX-782, which, of course, is the model number for Gundam, the first Gundam. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure they were influenced it by it partly, but in like the complete Gunbuster book, and Coop pointed this out last episode, it's named after Mazda Savannah RX-7, which if you Google, it's um, a very nice-looking mm. car from the 80s. Um Okay, which tr- that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it, tr- it tracks. Um, but everyone always like, yes, it's named after the Gundam, which makes sense. Anna is a huge Gundam fan, but <gasps> poor Kano lost those. True, I think that's what it really comes down to. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they were like, "How about we name it this?" And one person was like, "Oh, like the Gundam," and another person was like, "Oh, like the car," and Anna was like, "Yes." <laughs> like that Mazda I want to drive. Yes. <laughs> Would not surprise me. Because there are times when, like, you know, I think all creative types, sometimes they'll make a thing and they'll be like, this is definitely based off this. Uh, or I, I was inspired by this. And someone will be like, oh, you were obviously inspired by this completely different thing. And they were like, oh, maybe I was. You, you Sometimes you just don't even realize that you made a thing that was also connected to another thing that you liked. So, you know. Poor Kinolastos. Yeah, it's all one big pop cultural soup. Like the end of Evangelion. Just, we're all tang in this big swirling yes. ocean. <laughs> we are all tang in in Anno's uh, creative soup. Now, this complete Gunbuster book goes into some details about like the in-universe lore. Apparently, this mecha is cre- was created jointly by Nissan and Volkswagen, which could be another nod to Japan's imperial legacy. Um, of course, Volkswagen mm. is a German company. Nissan is a Japanese company. 
Nissan is also something that you call your brother. Ayo! Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love that dumb joke. No, that's good. That's solid. PMC that, that's is usually way, the... Yeah, uh, that's way better than... The joke I always think of with, with Nissan is, um, what is Captain Falcon's favorite brand of car? And then you would hit them with his, uh, his tilt aerial attack, which is a knee that is very powerful. And then you would say Nissan. You have to more extensive. Yeah, you have to be playing Smash for the joke to work, unfortunately, and that's I try not to do that. (laughs) It's just very specific. So for that specific little bit of people, good good joke. So Koichi Ohada collaborated with Shinji Higuchi and Ano to come up with the design, and Mahiro Maeda, whom we're going to talk about a little later, did some cleanup work on it. The more recent manga actually features some Katoki, some Hajime Katoki. Uh, redesigns which look very Katoki. Um, it's it's the clean lines are there. It's very symmetrical. Looks cool. I recommend checking mm. it out. So next scene, Noriko stares wistfully out of the window at Onisama until she's interrupted by her friend Kimiko, the girl that's everything I'm not. Noriko sighs. If only I could be more like her. So for the unaware, okay. um, Onisama is a respected older sister archetype. Hence the moniker Big Sis. It's a if you've watched anime before, you've encountered this archetype. It's a very well worn trope, which is not a criticism, just observation. Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there because you're pronouncing it like the way you say Big Brother. Okay, how should I be pronouncing? <laughs> I'm glad I have you on, Don. One. One sama. I was unsure One. when I went into it. One sama is Nissan, which is brother. Mm. One sama. Yes. Excellent. Nay like a horse. Mm. I have to note that. Yeah, I know it's it's hard sometimes to get uh, Japanese pronunciations uh, down because, you know, you can read it in English as something completely different. Yeah. When we first started the podcast, I had a professor who pronounced it Mamoru Oshii, and I kept with that pronunciation. And, uh, of course, transitioning over time to the more accurate Oshi. Getting used to the yeah, various yeah. Uh, pronunciational uh, differences. Well, don't worry. For years, I thought it was uh, 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 Pat Labor instead of Pat Labor. <laughs> I hear Pat Labor too a lot. Oh, I got mm-hmm. absolutely destroyed by by a Canadian who was like, I, I said Pat Labor, and they're like, Oh, what? Oh, Pat Labor, and I was like, Are you sure? <laughs> Even Galleon's another one, which I've heard all sorts of different oh, pronunciations yeah. of. Oh, yeah. Even, ne- Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> that's another one. Well, that's that's how um, Robin Williams said it in one-hour photo. Oh, that's right. Well, then, I mean, I love Robin Williams, so that must be the correct pronunciation. <laughs> and it's also a great film. Yes. Talk about depressed people. Mm-hmm. So Kimiko tries to encourage Noriko, reminding her that they've only been training for a few months and are still beginners. How's this week for Virgos? Noriko asks. The sixth is your lucky day, her friend responds. So obviously there's something symbolic going on. The day is important for a reason. But I think focusing too much on the symbolism betrays a subtler intimacy that's on display here. Noriko and Kimiko have known each other for a while. They have their own routines, their own language, which has developed over months of attending the same school together. Noriko knows Kimiko so well that she can ask a time-sensitive question and expect a natural response because she knows her so well. 
And I feel like Yamaga is a writer with really grounded and naturalistic sensibilities, and it shows in these domestic interactions. If you've ever watched War in the Pocket, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's also very natural because, um, especially in Japan, uh, astrology is super popular with young girls. That's a good point. So this would be a very natural thing for young girls to be talking about. I mean, technically, there's <laughs> it's still very popular with young girls. But like at the time, also, uh, this in the 80s, this would have been something that like uh, uh, a modern teenage girl would have been talking about. Yeah. I think it, it's good to highlight both, you know, a yes, they are very familiar with each other. Good friends. They've been good friends. Uh, they're also talking about something that is sort of topical, trendy, even, you know, the, the astrology. Because mm-hmm. I, I really found uh, the Noriko Kimiko stuff was what stuck with me the most from this. The Like the, the moments later when you encounter Kimiko again, and that kind of becomes prelude to the ending, I feel in a way. Like that's definitely the stuff that I uh, that absolutely like landed like gut punches for me. And so I'm very curious to see how that lands. But also point is that groundwork is being laid here mm, mm-hmm. and something i i really like about their friendship even though it's not highlighted as much in the show proper is that it stuck with people enough that in gunbuster 2 there's like a nod to their friendship in gunbuster oh. 2. I, I, I won't say anything specific because i don't want to spoil it but there is a little nod to their friendship in that as well and when I saw that for the first time, it totally just, like, got me right in the heart, and I started crying. <laughs> oh, that probably ripped me up, too. Yeah, I was just like, oh, Kimiko. Wow. And also, in the dub, she's voiced by a very, very, very special lady, Miss Lisa Ortiz. Oh, that's right. Uh, Miss uh, Lena Inverse herself. <laughs> yeah, very, very veteran actor. Uh, and she did an amazing job. Uh, she also later plays... Uh, uh, well, I don't know if that's a spoiler, but... Uh, uh, but she she does a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic job uh, as Kimiko. I like immediately recognized her. I was like, oh, she's doing so good. Ah, it's so good to see her again. I'm really glad that... Uh, they brought her in because not only is she just super talented she was huge in dubbing a lot of like 90s anime so to put her into something that's like old school is like a no-brainer yeah it really gives it really gives that sort of old style dub feeling to the to the series which which is great i love how the dub for this feels like an Mm -hmm. old dub but it's new and uh and I think, like, bringing in character actors like that was, like, a really, really great idea. Yeah, that was a super great get. Kimiko advises her to get ready for the next class. This advice is even more urgent today of all days because they have a new instructor. Dun, dun, dun. Now, apparently, Noriko's bad with the machines. But she's athletic and successfully completes an extensive jump rope routine before her next class. Lots of gynaxing on display. <laughs> the gynax bounces back. So we talked about the fan service. 
I don't really have anything more to say about that. I really won't have anything too much more to say about that as the show progresses. In, I guess, because it's placed so close to the, like, this scene here, I feel like there is something like a, a girls can't drive trope that Noriko seems to embody at the beginning. Um, it's really a nothing burger, though, because like this criticism is mostly blunted um, by the many skilled women in this academy who can pilot mechs. And of course, Noriko has a lot mm, of game, mm-hmm. which will become more clear in future episodes. I just bumped on this like the, the second time around watching it just because you have Oda there. Um, you know, the the initial embodiment of masculinity and just like he presses the button and all the women in the mechs like fall to pieces because they can't control it without like the uh, the stabilizers. Right, right. I think it's also there just to sort of like highlight that they're all like pretty green right now. True. Um, Not so much that like, oh, they're girls. They could never. But um, just the fact that they're so inexperienced right now at this moment. And we're going to see them definitely get better. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, Okada initially envisioned Gunbuster as a parody, which I feel like is very in line with these sorts of shenanigans. If Ano never really stepped in, this would have been Gunbuster the show. Yeah. Yeah. This, it would have basically been aim for the ace, the Mecca show, (laughs) which like, I wouldn't be mad at, uh, because these first couple episodes are great. (laughs) Yeah. I would, I think I would have trouble watching like 26 episodes of this though. Yeah, yeah, because uh, after a couple episodes, it probably would start getting a little stale. Because you'd probably have to do a lot of the same jokes over and over again, and that would get really boring. Which is why I'm glad they didn't stick with it being like a total parody. Yeah, and and why I like I said before, I am glad that like by the end of the second episode, it starts to like you know find its real footing in more of like a serious drama but you can't help but love this first episode because it's just so charming oh totally all right i gotta get something out of my off my chest i feel like i might be alone this, this is criticism. a weird one steven i can't follow you down this road all right let me I'll, i have some examples <laughs> to illustrate my point like i know this is a really basic ass complaint and i'm sure i don't want to be associated with the people who hold this opinion but I have to speak my truth. I don't like when mech shows use the term mecha to refer to giant robots. So as an example, PMC, imagine if Zone of the Enders, instead of referring to them as orbital frames, referred to them as mecha. Or even Gundam referred to them as mecha instead of mobile suits. Like that would The term for me is so commercialized that it kind of takes me out the experience. Again, I hate that I'm agreeing with the Last of Us creative team here. But also, I, I, do, I prefer when they don't call them zombies in zombie shows. Well... I get where you're coming from, but you have to remember how old this property True. is. Like back back then, the term mecha wasn't really like as popularized as it is now. Like now everyone knows what a mecha is. Back then, I think only like the hardcorest of nerds were talking about mecha. Mm. So I don't think it had the same context as like what you're describing. Um but I, I, I do get where you're coming from, but I give it a pass just because it's old. Like, if this was coming out now, and they were be like, get in the mecca, I would be like, yeah, okay, uh-huh, sure. Uh, but it's so old that, like, that wasn't really, like, a trope or whatever yet. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the age of it is certainly important context to factor in. And I also think sometimes, like, if your work is very tightly scoped... It, you may just not have 
the time or reason to want to use or, or create an alternative term. Because certainly, I love orbital frames. I love mobile suits. I love Vonderpanzers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love all these things. They're 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 close to my heart. But like, if you're a six episode OVA, yeah, I love the labors. Yeah, labors also, <laughs> uh, and I think all of those like play like a good you know role of shaping the setting. And here, I just don't because it's like so like um like fundamental or elemental in a way that like you don't really need to worry about calling them something else like i just don't i don't think it's um it's like a big deal i also want to take this opportunity to dunk on the creative team behind the last of us um because i want to say i want to say one of my all-time favorite julie muncie quotes shout out to julie muncie who was uh actually on an episode of radio for mercury uh who said that my opinion of the last of us is only diminished by what the people who made the last of us think it is about <laughs> true <laughs> Listen, the only reason they even got me to watch of The Last of Us show was Pedro mm-hmm. Pascal. Yeah. Speaking of sad dads, the best of the oh. best. My favorite sad dad. Give him a big old smooch. Yeah, he's living his best life. Not understanding <laughs> or not like publicly understanding or acknowledging just how much the fan base is lusting after him. Oh, he oh he knows. He knows. But he he was a smart man and got off Twitter, though. Yeah, true. (laughs) Speaking of fan service, that's what we need. That's what we need, some Pedro Pascal fan service. Oh, always. 100%. So next scene, Noriko's classmates berate and demean her, insinuating that she only got this far due to nepotism. Noriko bristles at these assertions. Kazumi, also in her mech, interrupts before a confrontation can occur. Too much visual fanfare and splendor. Kazumi exits her RX unit and greets Noriko. She's an upperclassman who many in the academy look up to as an ace pilot and an all-around exceptional student. So the romantic signifiers are off the fucking charts in the scene. Like this scene is bursting yes. with sapphic energy. Uh, it really is. Now, Dawn, you wrote the, your, uh, your article. Your article touches a lot on this. So this this floor is yours, please. Oh, so... Like I alluded to before, there are heavy Yuri undertones in Aim for the Ace because the main character, like, really, really looks up to and at times is basically lusting over the her senpai, uh, Reiko. And Kazumi here is basically the Reiko. Like, almost down to her hairstyle and how she wears her hair. Like she has the the big curly hair with the bangs and the bow in her hair, just like Reiko does. Like it's it's almost scene for scene as well. The first time that the main characters meet in Aim for the Ace is very similar to this, where like, you know, there's shoujo sparkles everywhere. There's flowery imagery and everyone's just like, oh, she's so beautiful. You know, and uh, this, again, can be uh, very, very much considered fan service because we're basically echoing the, the, like you said, the big sapphic energy from Aim for the Ace right here again into uh, Gunbuster. And it's, and I mean, can you really blame her, though? Because Kazumi is like, 
basically the perfect mech pilot. Like, everyone loves her. She's so talented. She's so beautiful. She's so wonderful. Everybody loves her. So, of course, like, Noriko's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've got bisexual feelings. <laughs> that should have been the title. A big sis, I have bisexual feelings. Shock. <laughs> Shock. Bisexual feelings about big sis. There you go. That'll be the director's cut for episode one. I mean, I am sure there is doujinshi mm. that goes way further than what we see here. It's very true. <laughs> so yeah, like my but, oh, uh, go on. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just saying, like, uh, but yeah, like it is very like, um, uh, uh, what's it? Oh, Dreamweaver in like Wayne's World, mm. sort of. <laughs> just like cue the romantic music and the and the sparkle vision because. Uh, because Big Sis is here. Totally. You know, speaking of Big Sis, she's, like I mentioned before, named after Okada's wife, Kazumi Okada. And yeah, I mentioned the divorce bit already, but again, everyone in this show is named after someone uh, who worked on it or someone related to who someone who worked on it. <laughs> Which is, you know, pretty typical of Gynax to to do this kind of stuff. They love name references as well as uh, just, you know, anime and nerd references in general. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, within one of the newspaper clippings, you see the, some of the pilots who died on the Luxion. One of them's totally Ano. I'm sure the others are animators on it, too, but one of them looks so fucking like Ano, so indicating that the rest <laughs> of them must be Gynax employees. Yeah, yeah, that would not surprise me at all. In a memorable scene, Kazumi gives Noriko one of her yellow hairbands, cementing their newly minted relationship. Noriko, of course, is positively starstruck and overwhelmed by her act of generosity. After Akazumi leaves, Noriko asks Kimiko again, what was this week's horoscope for Virgo? I gotta say, um, it's a low bar to clear. I'm glad that we have a show that features female pilots whose characterization doesn't revolve around their male counterparts. Um, the male counterparts yes. are there, but you wouldn't know it based on this episode. There's only like one line saying, oh, there's a boy school too. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, there's a boy school, which makes sense. And you could argue that some of this is blunted by the fan service, but it's so nice to see. And it's cool that these aspiring pilots don't just sit around and talk about boys. They have their uh, romantic interests, yes, but they also have their own goals. Well, well they also mm -hmm. have romantic interests, and they're the other girls, true. too. So. As any all-girl school would. Also true. <laughs> Every... Every girl that I know that went to an all-girls school, gay as fuck now. <laughs> yeah, the sapphic energy must have been off the charts. I mean, if you're trying to get your 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 tiny baby lesbian to not be a lesbian, don't drop her in an all-girls school, assuming that she's going to be reformed. <laughs> you're, you're just like, oh man, this this bear needs to stop eating so much honey. I better toss it into a honey factory. <laughs> yeah, don't send them to the Okinawa Military Academy all for girls. <laughs> or do. They might, you know, if you really love your child. That's another, yeah, true. <laughs> Hopefully in that timeline there's not an apocalyptic event on the horizon, though. Yeah, that would kind of suck. You know, speaking of uh, other girls at this all-girls school, an indignant student, a very indignant student, surveys the scene from a distance. We'll learn more about her a bit later. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, not sapphic energy, but just um, 
rage, uh, violent energy is radiating from her. Well, this is jealous sapphic True. energy. True, jealous sapphic energy, I like that. Which is uh, probably the most dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should be paired with Kazumi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's uh, it's very, very sapphic coded. Like, I am so jealous you get to be with this girl mm. because she's so wonderful and pretty. Why does she like you and not me? <laughs> so it's like, hmm, yeah, the, the girls, the girls be fighting. But there is there's one man around town who's going to make his appearance in the next scene. In the pre- oh, yeah. <laughs> in the presence of the administration staff and the new coach, the principal speaks to the student body. It's been six years already since the Lucian tragedy. Five years since the world joined together to start the RX project in an effort to repel the space monsters. What a logical sentence! What a just uh, what a flow! Like oh, we're being you know there's a, a existential threat, aliens from far beyond the solar system. How are you going to counteract this threat? Let's build mechs. Build mechs and train our children to pilot them. Yeah. Not us. Let them our let children. them be the disposal bodies. It, yeah. It is exactly. the children who must shoulder our burdens. <laughs> because, I mean, we can always make more children, am I right? There's not even the conceit, the conceit for like, oh, yeah, kids' bodies actually work better. Like in Ava, yeah, only for some reason, only 13-year-olds can pilot the Avas. I mean, there are reasons, but Gunbuster, no reason. We're just throwing you into the mechs anyway. Yeah, because you're very young and athletic and easily trained. So, yeah, you you do it. <laughs> we're we're all too old. We get a pretty cool panning shot of all the mechs um, in this assembly. Um, there's a line in the Gunbuster Gun novelization that I kind of bumped on, and this is also clear in the storyboarding. But the colors of the RX units signify the class each student is in. But if you take a look at the novelization, and I confirm this with the tra- the English translator, the colors don't precisely match up. So if you're reading the book, it goes, quote, with the first year machines painted red, the second year is blue, and the third year is yellow, you could instantly identify the class grade with a glance. Now, we don't do know that red signifies the freshman, Noriko is a freshman, um, and we also have the blue mechs, but there are no yellow mechs in this scene. There's ju- there are just green mechs. And apparently the, the the writer stuck with the yellow mechs for whatever reason. Maybe it was a creative choice. Well, the writer's, not, was, a, the writer's not a gamer because they, they don't want everything to be RGB. No, there you go. That's the reason. <laughs> Shut down the podcast, there everyone. You go. We got an answer. <laughs> oh, we blew this case wide open. <laughs> I should say there is another color mech on display. Kazumi's mech is white, very distinctive. Yeah, because she's you know the head she's of the, the class. yeah she's Stop. the holder. Yeah, exactly. That'd be cool if she had a cool holder uniform too. I know, right? Oh man! Oh now now I want <laughs> now I want to see one of the RX machines <laughs> dressed up like a holder again. Ample, ample uh, material for fan art here. Yeah, I was going to say, someone, someone's ready to take that commission. I can I can tell. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely do a uh, Noriko and Kazumi cosplaying uh, Suleta and Minori. Totally. That would be ad- that would be adorable. Or and flip side, you could do Suleta and Minori cosplaying as uh, Noriko and mm, Kazumi. Yeah, that's that's a cool reversal. That would be very cute. Someone out there do that, please. 
If only Gunbuster a little more popular in the States, that would really pop off on Twitter, I think. I mean, it would with the right people. Yeah. <laughs> All our mutuals. You got 200 likes and retweets. Yay! <laughs> well, Japanese Twitter would, would eat That's it up. That's true. Just, you know, uh, be sure to tag it with the Japanese uh, hashtags or whatever. So they'll find it. <laughs> From the comfort of their respective cockpits... Noriko and her classmates gossip about the new instructor. Straight out of the danger zone, armed with a bullhorn, Coach Oda sits astride his motorcycle as he prepares to lecture his class. You all already know my name, so I won't repeat it. Starting today, I'll be teaching you all how to not die in a mech. Anyone who can't keep up gets kicked to the curb. Right, I'll be disconnecting your auto balancers now. Real soldiers don't use training wheels. Man, Bradley Garrett does such a good job as coach. He's going to have some standout scenes later in the OVA, but he's absolutely right at the start chewing the scenery here in the best way possible. Yeah, he's so good in this. I was blown away because I was even thinking, I was like, they're going to have to get someone really good for coach because like Norio Wakamoto, that's some that's, big yeah, shoes a lot. to fill. So I was just absolutely delighted when I heard uh, his, his take on Coach. I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. So good. I need to go back and listen to the Witch from Mercury or watch the Witch from Mercury dub. I've only watched the first few episodes. I'm planning to go back after the show ends and watch all 24 episodes. But I want to do like a nice comparison between both roles. Yeah, I, I've i only watched the first episode dubbed, but I liked what I heard so far, so I definitely would want to listen to more of it. Um, but I'm I'm just like, I need to know what happens right away, so I watch the Japanese ones as they come out. Oh, you know what I really want? But, we're, yeah. we're think, I'm th- now you have me thinking about, uh, you know, obviously Nori Wakamoto has done many, many iconic voice roles. One of my favorite Nori Wakamoto roles was in the anime Planet With. Uh, Dawn, have you seen that? No, it's one that I've been meaning to watch because I heard so much good stuff about it, but I haven't actually <laughs> Nor- took the time to sat Nori down. Nori portrays it. It voices a space alien who, for much of the anime, only makes wolf noises, um, and it's it's fucking incredible, <laughs> like absolutely what? incredible. <laughs> What's his title again? The Generalissimo. Generalissimo, yes. yes. And out, outstanding, <laughs> like he kills it so hard. And now I'm thinking about like if it were ever to be dubbed in English. Like, I, I just want to know what Bradley Gareth would do, only able to make wolf noises. Oh my, that would be amazing. I, I would love that. Yeah, if you're a Norio <laughs> Wakamoto fan, like, please watch Planet With. Like, oh my goodness. It's a very good show. Oh man. I mean, he he was on an episode of um, Pop Team Epic, and it was <laughs> so funny. It was so, so funny. I loved that episode. <laughs> I've only heard good things about that show. Oh, it's so funny because they get different voice actors to voice the characters every episode. And every episode has, uh, it's the same segments, but they show it twice. And the first segment is done by female voice actresses. The second segment, they it's basically the same thing, but they redo it with male voice actors. Oh, interesting. And they let them um, riff with each other and improvise a lot. So even if you see the first episode, the first part of the episode with the other voice actors, 
The second one will always be different because they'll switch up the dialogue. That's clever. Yeah, it's really fun. It's really funny. And they have, like, really big name voice actors uh, in, like, doing the show. So it's so hilarious to be like, oh, here's an episode with, like, the, the, the woman that does the voice of Shinji and the woman who does the voice of Asuka. And they're making, like, you know, fart jokes <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know? It's, it's, it's freaking hilarious. I love it. Now, speaking, and Nori- speaking of parody, that show is kind of parodic, right? Oh, it's very, 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 very parodic. Um, it, it's based off like a four coma manga. Okay. So that makes sense. It's all, yeah, it's all jokes and they do a lot of referential like nerd humor. Like there's a whole episode where they got um, Obari to do like a fake uh, mecha show opening. Oh, I did see that. That was floating around mecha Twitter. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's really fun. So so yeah, like if you, if you're a nerd and you haven't seen Pop Team Epic, highly recommend it. It's super funny. They it, when they did the dub, they did the same thing for the dub. They got like a random dub actor for every episode, <laughs> and they're really good. Yeah, that actually. Uh, so in our in our hit, Gunbuster History Part Two, Stephen had me do the research for the you know just the what what else has the dub cast been in? And on one of the pages, I, I forget which actor it was, but they they t- they turned up as uh, one of the one of the primary characters, and I was like, "What?" But obviously, I was not aware of the, <laughs> the way the show is structured. Yeah, so it's really funny if you look at like the the cast list for Pop Team Epic. It's like there's a bajillion different actors and actresses who have been Papuko and Pee Pee Me. <laughs> They're never the same actor twice. I'm glad they stuck to the bit for the dub. That takes a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if they were going to do that for the dub, and they did, and, you know, bless them. Especially considering, I would imagine the pool is a little bit more limited for English voice actors. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is a little bit more limited. But they they went the extra mile. Like, they even got an episode with Michael Sinternicholas. Oh, dope. Yeah, (laughs) which, like, his episode was very, very good. That is so cool. I'm going to check that out because uh, a lot of my mutuals on Twitter have been raving about that show. It's very funny. I highly recommend it. It's just one of those fun shows you can put on and just laugh at. That's also where the the, the meme came from. The um, Well, a lot of memes came from Pop Team Epic. The, like, your life will end in 30 minutes. Um, the, the, you know, banned for twitter crimes oh yeah yeah or or thrown in jail for twitter crimes uh the um uh oh god a whole bunch of other ones uh oh they the 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 shakes head oh yes i agree and then parentheses doesn't get it i like that one a lot (laughs) yeah but uh yes and they do reference a lot of like nerd stuff like like mecha anime yeah, I got to post um, one of those mechs on Mecha Day. It's been on my list, but this uh, this conversation has re-energized me. Yeah, the Obari one is especially fun. Speaking of mechs, Noriko struggles with Oda's training regime. Her peers laugh at her in response. As ordered, she completes 50 laps. Afterwards, despondent and exhausted, Noriko enters a caffeine-induced food coma. Noriko has never been more relatable for me than at this moment. 
<laughs> I love that that panning shot of her with like all the junk food. Uh, I've I for a while I've used that as my Twitter header. Just Noriko, uh, just laying down in front of all of her snacks. Just ugh. that's the best part of exercising is, especially as you get older. Like, like oh, I I exercise today. I'm gonna eat trash. That's that's oh, I just. I don't even use that as an excuse. I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to eat trash. <laughs> Coke and Pepsi. I guess Noriko exhausted the vending machine and had to move on to the next one. Yeah. It's it's very funny because, like, all the stuff that you see on the table is, like, that, that's brand name stuff. So if you tried to animate that now, you would have your... Uh, uh, your your sensor person who's looking over everything, going, um, you're gonna you're gonna have to reanimate all of this because these are real brands and um, we didn't get their permission. <laughs> um, R.I.P. Sakuma Drops, though they uh, after a hundred uh, over a hundred years of being in in uh, production, they no longer make those those cute little hard candies. R.I.P. Oh man, I bet you could go on like Yahoo Japan auctions and like buy one for hefty price. Oh yeah. Well, as soon as they announced that they were going to be closing this year, uh, they they basically sold out everywhere online. Um, they're also notable for um, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those uh, those little candy fruit drops that uh, the brother gives to the the sister. That's that's Sakuma drops. Well, now I'm depressed. Thank you, Dawn. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're welcome. They don't exist anymore after over a hundred years of being in in uh, production. They had to close their candy factory. I should have picked them up when I was in womp Japan womp. a few years ago. Yeah, like I think you can. Like um, I had a friend. They went to Japan a few months ago, and I was like, "Hey, I used to have a tin of Sakuma drops that had the Grave of the Fireflies." Um, uh, imagery on it because that's how they used to sell it after that movie came out they were like hey hey you remember this movie <laughs> which I, is a weird way to to <laughs> to promote your candy, that's um, some appropriate but... cross promotional merchandising <laughs> but you know people bought them because they were like oh yeah i love these candies and i asked like i was like if you can find any can you get me one because i can't find my tin i think i accidentally like gave it away or threw it away or something and they managed to find one, well, they found one shop that had, like, Ghibli merch that still had some left. And they were like, I wanted to get you more than one, but they had a limit to how many people could buy because people were buying them in droves. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I'm assuming... Some of that was for people going, oh, man, I better buy a bunch of these and uh, put them for sale on uh, Mercari or whatever. <laughs> Fans are the worst. Saying this, I would probably I would say this as I'm in line to pick some up. <laughs> yeah. And it's sad because uh, th those candies are actually very mm. good. They were made with real fruit juice. Yeah. Hard candies are pretty underrated. I didn't like them as a kid, but as an adult, because I'm becoming an old man, um, I don't hate them. Same. Same. When I was a kid, I hated hard candy. Now I'm like, oh boy, grandma candy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is, it is grandma candy. Me, it's what you give grandchildren. Yeah. Give me those, those little wrapped candies that like look like strawberries. I want them. <laughs> I want them. But yeah, RIP Sakuma Drops, which 
I'm almost positive that it was included in this shot because of the connection to Ghibli, considering that Anno is a big Miyazaki uh, fan. He worked boy. on that film too, right? Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He did. He 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 um, did the the battleship cruiser Maya or something M A Y A, and was disappointed because the scene that that battleship features in is very dark, so you don't really get to see the mechanical intri- intricacies of the battleship. Yeah, I'm sure he probably complained about that too. <laughs> that would be a very Ano complaint. I feel like he's less. Like, he was less buddy buddy with Takahata than he was with Miyazaki. Oh, for sure, for sure. Him and Miyazaki would have the model planes, I'm sure, and be flying them in the sky above them. That they have modeled the toys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't see Takahata doing that. No, probably not. <laughs> now, speaking of fanboy, though, um, this level of detail is all thanks to Shinji Higuchi, who storyboarded most of Gunbuster. The Gooch. See, when you say the Gooch, I immediately think of Sakaguchi. Though that's a, a <laughs> fandom uh, divide, I suppose. Oh, they can both be a Gooch. True. True. <laughs> I'm fond of both of them. The Gooches. Yeah, they're both great. Got to see Shin Ultraman <laughs> still. It's on my pickup list for the <gasps> summer. I didn't get around to seeing it in theaters. Oh, it's so good. I saw the USA premiere at uh, Anime Frontier oh, nice. last year. It was very, very good. I got a free poster. <laughs> no hard candy, though, right? No. So Okada remembers, and kudos to Ihoba for the translation, quote, In Gunbuster, Shinji Higuchi always drew specific product brands like the milk cartridge or the snacks on his storyboards. He drew even the bento partitions. His storyboards are so good. The animators got excited and drew them faithfully to the storyboards, end quote. And hey, I, the, the level of detail rules in Gunbuster overall, this scene in particular, mm-hmm. Everything feels so lived in, from the stickers on the lockers, to the messages scribbled on walls, to the Coke and Pepsi cans that litter Noriko's room. Like, not to get off topic, mm-hmm. but this is kind of what I wanted to see in Witch for Mercury, which feels empty in comparison. I know you naysayers are going to go, yes, because that is because Astacasia is a monument to capitalism. This is a military academy. Kids will be kids. I want this level of detail. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things I love the most about, like, old Gainax stuff is, like, the world building is so well thought out and has so much detail put into it. Like you said, like, of course, in a girl's locker room, there would be, like, cute little stickers everywhere. Of course, there would be graffiti in certain places. And, of course, the girls would have, like, cute little mugs with a little key cat on it and, you know, stuff like that. Like... It's just those little things that make it feel more realized, like, in this little world. Like, it feels real. And when the world was smaller, you could get away with more wanton disregard for intellectual property law, which, uh, frankly, is something I feel nostalgic (laughs) for. (laughs) Truly, truly. Like, you see in a lot of, like, OVAs back in the day, uh, them using, like, a lot of American branding with, you know wanton abandon for for copyright laws like coca-cola was a really big one you see a lot of uh coca-cola logos and things which i think is very hilarious all right this is i don't advise anyone else doing this i'm gonna do like a well actually and and like push on my glasses trademark law is the specific thing they were concerned with here uh but trademark law also sucks (laughs) so (laughs) yeah no argument here at pmc yeah and it's True, true. I mean, that's true. one of the drawbacks, the one of the many drawbacks of globalization, too, because in the 80s, 
Japan was much more isolated than it is today. You could get away with this sort of stuff, like, I don't know, Earthbound featuring samples from a Beatles song, and that not be an issue, but today that would probably be a big deal. Oh, for sure, for sure. Like, when Gainax made this, they thought, like, a bunch of, like, nerds sitting at home watching their VHS tapes or Laserdiscs would be the only people seeing this. They didn't think, like nerds in america would be like importing videotapes and laser discs and seeing it and being like oh my god i recognize that <laughs> you know they were just like yeah it's just a anime that is for nerds that we know that will buy this hopefully so we don't go broke and can pay our rent for a few more months <laughs> yeah this is also from uh, spawning from the daikon tradition just you know Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, (laughs) another point of, like, fuck copyright is in the montage uh, section where we see, like, Noriko training, originally the music there was, like, a blatant Chariots of Fire. Interesting. It was removed from the American version because they were worried about copyright so if you import the japanese version i believe it's still present in the japanese version because like i guess they figured well we've gone this long without a lawsuit so why change it we're not going to admit to anything now (laughs) yeah but in every american version it's always been um a different uh musical (laughs) musical overlay because they were like yeah we don't want to get sued um that's why when uh discotech announced uh gunbuster like one of the big questions i saw over and over and over again in their chat was like is it gonna have the original music track is it gonna have the original (laughs) music track and they were like no we're sorry it they it no it's not going to like they won't even if we wanted to they won't give it to us so uh i mean honestly that's smart of them because you know don't want to get sued <laughs> reminds me of that bit from like what the sixth treehouse of horror episode of the simpsons when he's talking to willie about the shining oh, yeah. the shinning the don't want to get sued dude <laughs> you want to get sued <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but yeah like you know gynax has always played pretty fast and loose uh with uh stuff like that in the past and a few years later uh, they get nabbed for tax evasion so it all tracks yep yep i mean they were just a bunch of nerds who liked anime. They didn't know anything about anything. They just wanted to make anime. <laughs> That's kind of one of the reasons why Okada left in 92. He's basically like, he also came from like a rich family. So he had, you know, he had options, but he was basically like, this yeah. became a little too corporate for me. I'm out. Yeah. 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 When, when Gynax started falling apart, a lot of people basically did the same thing. They were like, you know what? Mm, I'm out. <laughs> And, you know, famously, Anno went on to uh, make his own studio because he was like, well, hey, I have enough notoriety and money. I'm just going to make my own studio with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> In fact, forget the anime. <laughs> just leaving the studio with like a, a bag over over his shoulder with a bunch of stripping instrumentality copies. <laughs> That'll pay the bills for a few months. <laughs> I mean... Uh, he he still let 
go old guy next license evangelion and he was like you know as long as i get a cut of you know whatever you make it's fine keep cranking out that merchandise i guess yeah, there's a doritos flavored evangelion flavored doritos have to come out sometime by someone oh they already did a, a doritos uh, promotion years ago Lo- i would have loved to check that out speaking of things i missed out on <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's like, I I specifically at the Asian market, one of the last times I was there, I bought a thing of chips that were tomato flavored, specifically because they were branded with Witch from Mercury. Mm, yeah, I would be right there. <laughs> and they were actually very good. Uh, fun- funnily enough, the brand was, co- <laughs> was called Ariel. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Because they... They were like airy, like little sort of crisps. Mm, okay. Okay. So it, they were really good. They were like these light sort of crispy puffs and uh, I think they were corn based and they were covered in a uh, sort of Dorito like dusting, but it was like tomato flavored. Mm. So it was kind of like a, it almost tasted like a, like pizza mm-hmm. seasoning almost. Okay. And I was like, well, these are yeah, good. Try those out. Yeah, I, I saved the bag because it had Minori <laughs> holding her tomatoes, and I was like, "Maw, <laughs> I gotta keep this because I'm a nerd." <laughs> now, to the surprise of everyone, Noriko, most of all, Ota selected her as one of the two pilots down her space. Her classmates openly and viciously gossip at her expense. So you hear a lot of insults being hurled, and one rando student says, refers to her as the daughter of defeat. So I have two things to say to this rando student. One, fuck her. Two, daughter of defeat is a sick burn. I I have to hand it to her in this case. Yeah, very eloquent. I wonder if it's that alliterative in uh, in the original Japanese text, or if the alliteration is just for this translation, which in case, good work, translator. Also, an excellent burn anytime I would encounter a Daughters of the Confederacy. That is true. <laughs> Can we at them on Twitter? Not that I'll, not that I'll invoke <laughs> that, that firestorm. Maybe they're probably all too busy firing off truths on, they're probably on, on Truth Facebook. Social. They're, yeah, they're on Facebook. Too old <laughs> oh, yeah, on Facebook. That's right. Oh, yeah. For sure. Because they're all old mm-hmm. people. Kazumi remonstrates with Oda, arguing that Noriko's too inexperienced to go into space. Oda gazes intently out of the window, his aviators ablaze with the reflection of the sun. He then removes his glasses, revealing his scarred and permanently shut right eye. He tells Kazumi that he's a survivor of the Luxion and stresses that the fate of humankind hangs on this decision. He believes, no, he knows, that Noriko has what it takes. That girl just might be able to do it. So... I feel like there's an interesting juxtaposition at hand with Ota and like the rest of the 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 girls in this show. Like on one hand, if you think about its parodic origins, um, you would think that all right, Noriko, Kazumi, Kimiko, these might be the more underdeveloped characters, and someone like Ota, the hypermasculized figure, might be the most developed. But I feel like that's actually reversed. I feel like Noriko, Kazumi, and Kimiko, they're real, honest, and earnest. Oda, on the other hand, despite the fact that I like the energy he usually radiates, not all of the energy, but most of it, he feels very stiff, very overly authored. Um, He feels like a parody. Um, His ridiculous getup really heightens this, but I couldn't just help but think that. It It was a nice reversal. 
Yeah, and the coach is a very blatant, like, almost copy of the coach from uh, Aim for the Ace. They, they basically dress exactly the same. Uh, although I would say that Koichiro, which I think it's so cute to name the coach Koichiro. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's the good stuff. So, so cute. Because in the Japanese version, they literally call him Kochi for coach. Kochi's cute. So, Koi Koichiro, <laughs> Kochi, like, it's very, very funny to me. And also just emphasizing the whole, like, parody roots that it came from, obviously. That's probably, you know, originally from the, the, the parody treatment. But it... <laughs> it he is way, way, way more um, uh, angsty in this version, though. But it is uh, it is very funny to me that he is basically just a mecha pilot version of the coach from Aim for the Ace. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling that was a direct reference, like a direct copy almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, I love that... Um, I'm going to send you guys a link. Let's see here. So when uh, I told you guys about the the little um, uh, Twitch stream that the, the dub actors did, and <laughs> there was a part that I made sure to clip because I thought it was so funny, um, which is uh, the, the dub actor for Coach was saying that there were so many times that he wished they could have snuck in like a, a Noriko, you have to aim for the top. <laughs> like, you know, be like, say the line, say the line. And so he did like this little like um, thing that I thought was like really, really funny. Noriko, you really need to aim for the top gun muster on this one. I'm, I'm really glad I clipped that because I was just like, that's too good, I can't not. <laughs> I'm imagining his chibi form in the science lessons now, just yelling that. Yes! <laughs> Noriko, you've got to aim for the top gunbuster. <laughs> he always steals the show in the science lessons. Right, he's so good. I love the science lessons. I, I wish there were like 50 more of them. Oh, I... Oop, sorry, I forgot to turn off my alarm. That's my, my old people alarm for like, remember to take your medicine. <laughs> Noriko overhears their co entire conversation and is aghast when she learns that Oda is a surviving member of the Luxion, her father's ship. Also, I love whenever they pronounce Luxion in the dub. It's so elegant. I can't really do it quite like they do it. Almost like Luxion. The, the Luxion. <laughs> and uh, there's a great um, transition to Noriko, surprised and aghast. And it it's like a pencil dot reaction the animation's stellar it's great oh yeah i love when they i'm not sure if they used like a pattern or something like a printed pattern for that uh but it's really cool looking i think they did that like at least one other time i think in the second episode yeah maybe? and it gets kazumi when she meets jung for the first time when they do the stare down yeah Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's really good. It almost reminds me of, like, a manga panel. Yeah. And, of course, Gainax would experiment a ton of that in the future. Mm -hmm, I feel like that effect mm -hmm. reminds me a lot of the way illustrations that appear on, like, a PC-98 game as well. 
yeah. that kind of effect. And, yeah. and our, like those nerds were playing Ooh, PC true. games, let me tell you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they were. They were. I mean, they made yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Takami Akai during the production was cranking out some porn games as the, as the rest of the team was working on Gunbuster. Yep. I mean, they needed money. <laughs> Got to pay the bills. So we get the dope eye catch. We get the Gunbuster. Gunbuster. Forever imprinted on my memory. Just wake up sometimes in a sweat. Just yell it. Which I think is, isn't that the first time we even hear the phrase Gunbuster in the show is from the so. eye catch? I believe so. They say, yeah, I think Coach says Buster, but he doesn't say Gunbuster. Yeah, he says the Buster Project, mm-hmm. but that's later in the episode, I believe. Unless the principal says it in yeah. the speech. I don't think so, though. No, nah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which I'm sure would make, like, if you're watching this for the first time, you're like, ooh, Gunbuster, ooh. You have to pay for more money for more tapes, though. That baby's not going to show up until episode four. Nope. Later that day, as she ritually cleans the school grounds with Kimiko, Noriko despairs over all the pressures thrust upon her. Without missing a beat, Kimiko remarks, Virgo this week, beware of misunderstandings and issues with others. Again, I, I love, I, I'm a big fan of Yamaga's writing sensibilities, but this is so great. Adds texture to their relationship, but it's also just like good symmetrical writing. Ichiro Kuchi, eat your heart out. <laughs> And also, it's just really a fun writing mechanism because the great thing about astrology and horoscopes and all that stuff is that you take a very sort of uh, innocuous phrase or thing that could happen and you can be like, oh, I can apply that to so much. Like, oh my God, you know, beware of misunderstandings. I mean, that could be anything, right? But in this context, it works perfectly with the story. So it works on two levels as one being like obviously a thing that would be in a horoscope and that a, a th- and a thing that a girl would be like, oh, my God, of course, my horoscope would be like this because, ugh, you know, and, and I love that kind of stuff because it's, it's really believable because, yeah, of course, a girl would read their horoscope like that and be like, oh, of course, it was written in the stars, my life. Oh, so stressful. <laughs> And also, it emphasizes the passage of time, which is one of the key structuring elements and motifs of this show. Yep, yep. And the whole, like, you know, space thing as well. So it all ties together very, very nicely. I love the, uh, that whole setup. It's just, it's really well done, really smart. Following Kimiko's advice, Noriko picks herself up and gets back to training. When she returns to the hangar, however... She discovers that her RX-7 unit has been vandalized with graffiti. After sitting on a tack purposely left on her seat, she breaks down into tears. Man, Discotech really went the extra distance with these subtitles. Like, not only did they touch up the English script, but they translated all the in-world text with dynamic and color-coordinated subtitles. Like, I can't go back to normal subs after this. Uh. The, the team at Discotech, they really work so hard on, like, the subtitles and even just, like, the font choices and the coloring. Like, it. every time I watch a Discotech release, it's always, like, A++. And, you know, it's like no, no, other, no other anime company is going this hard for something that's going to be on screen for, like, what, two seconds, three seconds? <laughs> Like, it's it's so good. But they know that, like, this is 
important to not just the story, but like, you know, fans expect like, well, what does that say? I don't know. Like, it could be anything. So having like actual context to why Noriko is like so distraught over all this is important. It's not like, oh, they just drew funny pictures. Like, there are really mean things written on her mech. Like, like they call her stupid and, like, there's one that's like, oh, die, just go die, or something like that. Or, like, uh, the one on the crotch that's, like, for coaches use. That's what I got me. I was like, oh, man, damn, kids can be cruel. Uh, but this also reflects the bullying that we also see in Aim for the Ace, except instead of being, you know, painted on a mech, this is, like, stuff that was uh, painted on the uh, main character's school desk. Okay. And then the, the tack thing, that was also a school desk thing. Like, you would put a tack on someone's chair. Like, uh, pretty, pretty common, even, like, not just in Japan, bullying. But, like, I remember, like, you know, my dad talking about, like, oh, someone would put, like, a tack on, like, the teacher's chair or something like that. So, you know, this is the old school bullying. Um, it doesn't... <laughs> It's, it doesn't make it any less terrible, though, because, as we all know, bullying just evolves. <laughs> bullying goes from one terrible thing to another. So we might not have, like, this kind of, like, obvious bullying uh, for kids now, but now it's just different. Now people just bully children online instead. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of that has been moved to online spaces, which makes it more difficult to track mm -hmm. and deflect and stop. Yeah, and since it's outside of school time, it's, like, even harder to, uh, you know, discipline kids over it. Because it's like, well, who who should be disciplining these kids if it's, like, outside of school or outside of school time? You know, things like that. Which, that's a whole other can of worms. But, uh, but yeah, this is, this is the kind of uh, hardcore bullying that you see a lot in, like, shoujo, like, dramatic uh series like you know the the poor heroine has to go through terrible terrible bullying like oh her locker or her desk would be like graffitied like she'd get notes that would say you should just die or you should just you know leave school and never come back and things like that uh you know really hard stuff that you're like oh my god who, who would ever do such a thing? That's so heartless that, you know, the, the heroine must, you know, prevail through. Noriko confronts Oda and pleads that he please not pick on her. Oda, undeterred, asks that she follow him. As the sun sets, Oda leads her to the perimeter of the school, where they find Kazumi deep in training. Undeterred, wearing iron sandals, Kazumi <clears throat> runs up a steep flight of stairs. Oda gives Noriko a motivational speech, which he caps with a simple request. Go into space with Amino. There you'll find what you must do. You're right. She does have what it takes. But everything she has, she achieved through years of hard work. No one is born into this. It's taken a lot of hard work to get where I am. Of course you don't have the talent right now. You haven't put in the work to draw it out yet. But you're absolutely capable. That's why I chose you. Understand? Hone your abilities. Learn to trust yourself. Feel with your body. Think with your head. Judge with your heart. Because in space, they're all you have. 
I just... You and Miss Amino are a team. Once you're among the stars, you'll have a grasp of what's at stake. So this prompted me to do some research. I am again drawing the conversation back to Planet With, which also makes extensive use of an iron sandal. I think this style of sandal, like specifically this, this style of clog, is called a, a geta or a G-E-T-A when I was searching online. I was trying to... I was trying oh, yeah. to see if it was any sort of mm -hmm. particular literary trope associated with it. Um, and I and I didn't really pick up on anything to do. I mean, I, like, you know, weighted garments are, you know, can generally be thought of as training. Uh, and, and I found some websites that were allegedly selling these as athletic training. But then when I would click through to them, they'd be like, oh, we don't carry those. What are you talking about? So it was very, um, it, was, <laughs> it was definitely using the internet in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know if that was a thing in like possibly other like maybe live action shows. Um but I do think it's smart because it's way easier to show like weighted iron sandals on a mech than it would be to be like here's some yeah. ankle weights. <laughs> Plus it's much more dramatic, right? Like I think it's like a cooler a cooler thing to animate like oh she's running with iron sandals rather than like we put 10 ton ankle weights on her ankles <laughs> it, it just gives it a little more visual flair as a runner myself i do want to try this at least once see if i can make it up <laughs> on one flight sandals. of stairs well, you're gonna have to find a better listing than i did steven <laughs> <laughs> you just have to make I'll your have own to aim for the top as it were <laughs> You have to aim for the top gunbuster, Steven. Uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> I don't know how I would even procure cement block. I guess just cement blocks and then break the middle of them and like try to put them around my feet. Never going to happen, but I'm just theorizing yeah. here. Yeah, you might be able to do that. And break every bone in your foot. But yes, you could try. <laughs> put my feet in wet cement. You could get those like those really big platform shoes Okay. Yep. and dip them in. And dip them in quick dry cement, maybe? All right, a little summer project for myself. <laughs> Those would be some heavy shoes, though. This scene um, just makes it apparent how unapologetic Gunbuster is when it comes to sentimentality and passion and emotions. Like I mentioned earlier, Gunbuster is a romance. Its characters wear their emotions on their sleeves, and the show, to its credit, doesn't demean them for that or deflect it with irony it embraces noriko's desire to aim for the top which rules i have a feeling if gunbuster came out in 2023 and maybe a different creative team made it the there would be a temptation to include a lot of irony in this or maybe make it metatextual and i'm glad that it just plays it all straight yeah yeah i feel like there would be a lot more like wink wink nudge nudgeness to it but i don't think that would make it nearly as charming like the fact that like you know Nuriko works with all her heart and wants to do this like wholeheartedly like this is her true calling and this is what she really really wants deep 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 in her heart like if if it was played off as a joke I don't think it would be nearly as sincere and that's one of the reasons why we love Gunbuster is because like the heroes are so sincere. Like they say what they mean when, when they mean that they want to 
you know, be the best and they want to be stronger and they want to save the world, they mean it. They, it's not, you know, a joke. It's not supposed to be like, you know, haha, I guess I gotta do this because I'm the main character. Whoa, you know, like, and, and that's why I love Nariko so much. She's just like, yeah, I gotta do this and I have my reasons. Like, I wanna, you know, uh, show my dad that, like, you know, I can, I can do this. I can be just as great as him, and, and, you know, I can make it through this all this tough training and and be a better person for it. Like, like I love her, her, her spunk and her, her just big heart. Yeah. Speaking of other Gainax shows that do the same thing, Gurren Lagann would do this decades later and equally play it mm-hmm. straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Gurren Lagann's a bit more sillier. Uh, around the edges uh but in a way where it's still very sincere yeah which i prefer for these types of shows mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i want a sincere he- hero i don't want you know someone who's just like well oh well shrug i guess i gotta do this again you know it's like okay sure whatever i mean that's one of the reasons why i love sailor moon so much like you know she She's like, oh, this is so hard, and I hate doing it, but I gotta. Because I love my friends, and I love the Earth, and, like, you know, it's it's just very sincere. I love sincerity. <laughs> I love I love characters with big hearts who who love a lot. And, and that's Noriko to a T. After taking her complaints to an unreceptive Oda, Noriko's slighted classmate, Reiko Kashiwara, challenges her to a fight. That night, the two commence an old-fashioned bout of mecha fisticuffs. At an initial advantage, Reiko manages to knock Noriko to the ground and rains down a flurry of kicks. Kimiko pleads for Ota to intervene, but Noriko's not down for the count. After jumping above Reiko's triangle punch, she lands a devastating Inazuma kick. To the surprise and admiration of the spectators, Noriko wins the duel. The, the Inazuma kick rules, but the whole fight is fucking good. The animators smartly make sure to emphasize the physicality and weight of the RX units, which gives the battle a real extra oomph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is very akin to how we see Anno uh, directing the, the weight and the physicality of the Evas in Evangelion, for sure. He, he's really good at making things look big and massive and heavy and dangerous. And I love that. Uh, he has a great sense of scale. I really love that triangle punch is just like pulling a knife. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's something about that like that's just really funny to me. Like, like just, oh, look, I, I put a blade on my fist. It's a triangle punch. What are you talking about? I I always forget (laughs) about that, and it always makes me laugh every time I see it. I'm like, you you literally just pulled a knife. I have to go back to the novelization, because when I messaged the Ideon about the color discrepancy with the the mech colors, um, they brought up the fact that the triangle punch is different in the novelization, but I didn't pick up on that during my first read, so I need to go back and see what the difference is. 
Maybe it's a little more elaborate. I do like the fact they just take a knife out. <laughs> what do you got there? A knife! Wait, no! Where, where did you get that from? Triangle shank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no! Speaking of, of differences, uh, the Inazuma kick uh, is something that I had typically thought of, and I maybe this was because it was the subtitles that I had originally watched Gunbuster with, or... or Otherwise, you know, someone just told me that Inazuma can be directly translated, literally translated as lightning. So I've always called it the lightning kick. Uh, the dub can, you know, chooses to say Inazuma kick. And I was just wondering if there was some, like, is there a particular reason? You know, I know it's always a translation choice. You just, do you just drag in the proper noun or, you know, do you translate it? And I was, do any of y'all know anything about why, what, why, why that choice might be made? I think it's because... For fandom uh, at large, for Gunbuster, it's always just been called the okay. Inazuma kick. Um, because I think uh, most <laughs> most nerds were like, Inazuma kick sounds cooler. I'm sorry, it just okay. sounds cooler. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, I don't know. I mean, if she said lightning kick, I that would that still would, be, cool. be cool. I don't know. But uh, also, it might have been just because when you yell Inazuma kick, um, it would be hard to change the 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 pattern of the speech mm-hmm, to lightning mm-hmm. kick because lightning is only two syllables and Inazuma Deep. is three. So that might have also been like a little tricky with the you know matching it up with the mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. dub. Yeah, that's a that's a good consideration. So that that. So both of those might have been a uh, a factor, like the fact that like, you know, fans usually just call it Inazuma kick, and also to just m- maybe match the lip flaps better. I feel like there is some cultural knowledge, some shared cultural knowledge of what Inazuma means based on games like Inazuma Eleven. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, when Inazuma Eleven came out, they they kept it as Inazuma instead of the Lightning Eleven or whatever, and. It might just be because, like, when you give something a cool Japanese name, like, it sounds, like, ooh, cool and different and neat. You know, kind of like in the Japanese side when, you know, they give something an English title. Like, it sounds very cool, you know? Yeah. Anno loves um, uh, a, <laughs> a bold English font. He really does. So, um, you know, I, I don't mind it being kept as yeah, a I mean- kick. Because you know, I, I could really go either way. I, it just I, there is a point in my mind where I, I always think of the uh, the old the old uh, Keikaku meme. Um, I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, I, Keikaku. Yeah, <laughs> all according to Kaku, Keikaku means plan. <laughs> you know, and like, you know, like obviously that's that's no good. But like, you know, what when do you make the decision? And for, you know, for just mentioned there, bringing in the word, borrowing the word, is sometimes the way to go. Uh, you know, a, a friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Andy Engineer, has been providing English subtitles for the French dub of the Big O, which has been a fun exercise <laughs> whenever the Big O starts using, uh, like, the fr- you know, the French dub, did they use the French words in the episodes where they were French? You know, how, and, like, how would you express mm-hmm. that in the subtitle? Mm-hmm. What words would you choose? And so that's, I mean, it's, to be clear, all valid choices, you know, and it's just interesting to think about. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, translation is an art. 
uh, it's not a you know one to one thing all the time. You know, you you take the same phrase and you give it to five different translators, you most likely get five different answers. Um, but also, I think like just yelling Inazuma Kik just is fun. <laughs> I think it helps the two extra syllables that lightning doesn't have. I think it gives it more weight. Yeah, yeah, because you're like Inazuma Kik, like it. It, it just rolls off the tongue like really really nicely has has a lot of flair uh lightning kick while also cool might not have the same impact here i feel like i'm probably gonna have a lot more feelings about this whenever i get around to playing the gunbuster ps2 game i hope i hope there i hope there are many mm. kicks in that game I do know that apparently in, I think it's one of the games, uh, you get to see way more of the Gunbuster's, like, attacks, because apparently the Gunbuster has, like, a ton of uh, special things that it can do, but they weren't all used in the anime. Uh, although I think in the game some of them are kind of <laughs> jokey, because apparently there is one where, like, the Gunbuster plays baseball and he brings out a baseball oh, that's bat. Excellent. That's excellent. And is and I think they call it like the Inazuma <laughs> Homer or something <laughs> like that. I can't remember, but I thought that Perfect. was very cute. If we got that parody show, you know there'd be a, a baseball episode. Oh, a hundred percent. Like if this was a TV show, there would be a baseball episode. A hundred percent. I can almost guarantee it. Yeah, we're missing out. All my favorite shows have baller baseball episodes like Samurai Champloo and Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah, for real. <laughs> More baseball episodes, please. Yes. I mean, he hell, even Dragon Ball got a baseball episode in Dragon Ball Super. Oh, did it? I have to check that out. It sure did, and it was very Every funny. Every week I wake up and I'm like, I'm like the cat meme, like I should buy a boat. I think to myself, I should watch Dragon Ball Super and never, ever get close to getting around to it. <laughs> and I never will, but I think that. I did the easy thing and just watched it weekly as it came out. In the episode's most nationalistic scene, Oda, Noriko, and Kazumi, clad in matching red and white uniforms, emblazoned with the Japanese flag, board a JAL shuttle bound for space. Noriko gazes down upon an erupting Mount Fuji as if it were wishing them well on their journey. Aim for the top. Huh? Noriko. Hey. And I'm thinking, sidebar here real quick. My, my older daughter always just goes, huh? When I ask her a question, like, huh? Huh? Sometimes I was imagining Noriko go, huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Maybe I just, well, I'm recording in the room next to her. She's presumably asleep. Maybe I just woke her up with, huh? <laughs> Noriko thinks this to herself as the ship drops the external fuel tanks and ascends into space. Cool scene, though. Um, just <laughs> everything's so on the nose here. I feel like if this gunbuster were made in America, you'd see, like, I don't know, Mount Rushmore in the distance and, like, one of the presidents is winking at the shuttle. Oh, yeah, and they'd, they'd be on, like, an American Airlines shuttle instead of a JAL yeah, one. Yeah, NASA, basically. Mm -hmm, Star Sable mm -hmm. Banner's playing or something <laughs> in the background. Yeah, there'd be a big American flag, and they'd all be eating hamburgers. Yeah, um, um, uh, what's his name? The the commander, the admiral, he loves the sushi. In the American version of Gunbuster, he'd be just eating up those cheeseburgers. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He'd be like, oh, man, so so glad that McDonald's could send up a, a supply. God bless America. <laughs> 
there's the parody version of Gunbuster that we all need. I love when Japanese, particularly <laughs> when JRPGs are set in America. I'm not even talking about Earthbound here. I'm talking about the really the obscure ones. Uh, it's it's so zany. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's like there's uh there's an American character in one of the Soccer Wars games, and she's a cowgirl, and her name is Gemini Sunrise. Mm, yeah, that's the good <laughs> stuff. Perfect. No notes. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? Actually, the game I'm thinking of, far the Far East of Eden series, which is like the guy, the Soccer Wars guy, the games he made before Soccer Wars. I think Ten Guy <laughs> Machio Four. It takes place in a weird ass version of America, and I just dig that shit. <laughs> yeah, anime versions of America or Americans in general are just like Mwah, we are right for mockery. <laughs> we deserve it. And we're at the end of the episode, folks. Uh, we do get an ending theme, Try Again Again by Noriko Sakai. I don't really have any like cool th- like new thoughts on this. I like it, just not as much as the OP. It, um, fun fact, though, Mahiro Maida, who we talked about a bunch in the history episodes, he did all the illustrations featured in this ending theme. I really love the illustrations in the ending theme because, to me, they're very reminiscent of like a shoujo yeah. manga. There's a warmth to them. Yeah, yeah. It basically looks like we're looking at, like, little vignettes from, like, oh, the shoujo manga version of Gunbuster or something like that. It's very I cute. also feel like the way they're rooted, like, right now watching this is like, oh, this is just recent. And I, as the further we get into the series, the, the more distant I feel like this ending sequence will feel. Yeah, that's a good point. And I... I also like the... I think the very last shot of the ending theme is, uh... Noriko and Kimiko buying Andromeda cakes, which are just uh, roll cakes, but because they're, like, roll cakes, that means they make a swirl pattern, which is, like, the swirl of a galaxy. Oh, I like that. I thought that was very cute. I was like, oh, that's absolutely, like, something just really cute and uh, trendy that, like, a girl would be like, oh my god, we have to go try these Andromeda cakes. Look, they're they're galaxy themed how how cute you know like i can imagine them being like blue or purple colored too mm-hmm. like that would be adorable dawn before we wrap up I, I need a hot take um bean paste how do you feel about it okay love it yes got another one <laughs> K- caitlin's on my <laughs> side right pmc yeah K- well caitlin knows she knows that she has white people dessert taste that uh, she she <laughs> admits to that yeah, I do love my, me, myself some milk chocolate. Oh, now I'm a I'm a dark chocolate person. Sorry, no, I'm a five year old kid at heart. That's why I haven't evolved beyond that. <laughs> also, just like most American chocolate is pretty waxy and bleh. I although I I will I will eat a Reese's peanut butter. Okay, cup. yeah, respectable. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Chocolate and peanut butter, great combo. <laughs> All right, Dawn, at the end of all things, how do you, any like concluding thoughts about Gunbuster? So we have you on for episode one. Any like quick thoughts on the, the rest of the OVA? Oh my God. I could talk endlessly about like the entire OVA because I just, I love it so much. Like I, it, it, it is a great, wonderful, amazing series uh, without getting too spoilery. Like the ending part with, um, with Noriko and Kazumi, at uh, the very, very end, uh, always just gets me teared up and I ugly cry. 
uh, I, I'm tearing up now just thinking about it. Ooh. Um, I know a lot of people kind of, um, look down on the, the part where Noriko, like, rips the heart out and in turn rips her own shirt as, like, ooh, it's kind of gross. Uh, but I think I said this in my podcast episode that it always made me think of, like, you know, those, like, warrior women that would um uh go to battle with like one chest out like that's what it made me think of like when i first saw it i don't know why uh i'm sure it's not that deep uh for the for the gynax people i'm sure they were like this would be a great excuse to show a titty um <laughs> but like to me it felt so powerful and and like uh, strong like i don't know as as a female presenting person like it really like it never read as icky to me uh, and i know that it's going to be different for everybody and like everyone's opinion on this is going to be like valid because there's many ways to look at it but for me it was never icky it was always like a very strong and emotional part of the the ending that uh, i always thought was just like really like i don't know something in me whenever i saw it was just like yeah like <laughs> like mm. like it, it just made me go like yeah yeah norco you do the thing <laughs> but um but yeah overall like the series is so great like it's it's equal parts silly and lighthearted and dramatic and heart-wrenching and i love it to bits uh you know it's not a perfect thing it's got plenty of flaws but at its core it is a just beautiful wonderful piece of fiction that i absolutely adore and they just don't make them like they used to folks i know that you know People are tired of old anime fans saying that kind of shit, but they don't. <laughs> they really don't. You don't see things like Gunbuster being made today. I mean, the closest we've come to is, uh, because we kept talking about it, was maybe Witch from Mercury. And, you know, that's a huge gap between when Gunbuster came out and Witch from Mercury. So, uh, you know, it'd be great if we got more, like, hard sci-fi again, especially with such cool female characters like Noriko and Kazumi. And uh, I'm glad Witch from Mercury is kind of maybe bringing that back a little bit. Like, maybe we'll get some some good stuff out of that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm excited for y'all to talk about the rest of the series. I'm super honored that I got to be the first. Hell yeah. <laughs> Now, PMC, do you want to, any, like, gunbuster thoughts for the future? I will say, listeners, I will not be on the next few episodes. I have some minor oral surgery. I'll be fine, but I just can't talk. Aww. That's the thing. Talking, will, talking for three hours in front of a mic is not going to help the stitches. Um, so I'll be in the background cooking up some research for some future episodes. I will be definitely be back by episode, unless things go terribly wrong. I will be back def definitely by episode five. Hopefully episode four, but... Definitely episode five when things really get good. Yeah. Do I? I was gonna say, do I have stuff. any specific Gunbuster thoughts? I, I, I mean, I'm just ex excited to get back into it. I'm also excited by how different each of the episodes is. I mean, it's already signaled by the end of this one, but you know, we're gonna be in space next time. 
Uh, and we're going to meet different characters, have different battles. Uh, you, I mean, obviously you expect it from six episodes, but uh, they really do each sit apart from each other. And, uh, and that also makes it fun to talk about on a week-to-week basis. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right, Dawn, hit, hit us with some plugs. Promote the hell out of the great work that you do. Oh, well, thank you. So I run, uh, like you said earlier, the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, which is a podcast about old school anime and manga and fandom history from before the internet ruled our lives. So if you want to check that out, you can find it pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, my little home for it is animenostalgia.blogspot.com. I also have a Tumblr, animenostalgia.tumblr.com, which I keep pretty consistent uh, cues for that. So you get all sorts of fun little uh, anime and manga goodies posted daily. I just kind of fill it up and let it let it go. Um, I also try to keep uh, news stories there that are uh, relating to older anime, manga, that kind of thing uh, as well. Just, you know, fun stuff relating to things relating to the podcast, basically. Um, I have a Twitter, so if you love old anime and manga and stuff like that, uh, as well as uh, other things I enjoy and maybe pictures of my beautiful cats uh you can follow me at bunny cartoon all one word uh at twitter and pretty much any other social media place just in case you know twitter explodes and you're listening to this in the future and we've somehow escaped from there (laughs) uh i'm there as well uh like on twitch i do occasionally stream on twitch uh like sometimes i like doing discotheque uh watch alongs when they do their their panels lately i've been trying to do those those have been very fun so you can watch me in real time lose my mind to announcements uh if you were there for my aim for the ace announcement i basically blew out my microphone for 10 (laughs) straight minutes uh with how excited i was when they announced that um, but I'm also Bunny Cartoon on Twitch, and like I said, pretty much anywhere else, because I like bunnies and I like cartoons. All right, well, of course, you'll be able to find all of those links in the show notes, so whatever platform you're on, whether it's you know Spotify, iTunes, whatever, look in the show notes. You can find all of those links that Don just mentioned, uh, and as many as are still relevant whenever you are listening to this. If you want to help <laughs> out Giant Robot FM... Uh, of course, this is the first episode. Our it's our fourth summer of Gunbuster episode because we had the Blue Blaze discussion, the two history episodes, which I definitely recommend anyone interested in that stuff go listen to. And then, of course, now from here on, it's going to be weeks of Gunbuster coverage. Some episodes will be hosted by me, a reckless menace. So look forward to those. Obviously, Stephen will be back as soon as we can get him <laughs> back on. And uh, and so, if you want to help us out, I recommend. Write a review. You know, tell people about what we're doing. We certainly always appreciate that we're independent. You know, we, we do this kind of on our own without any network or anything. So it's always helpful to get that word out there. We do have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash giantrobotfm. That's where we do some of our bonus series, like our week-to-week coverage of The Witch from Mercury that we call Radio Free Mercury. The first 13 episodes of Radio Free Mercury are on our main feed. So if you want to check those out, and then subscribe just in time to get the uh, last episodes of Ready for Mercury as they release. Uh, you could do that. You could do that. Still, so obviously, still at this point, as of this recording, we have yet to record Ready for Mercury twenty three and twenty four. And who knows more? No idea. 
So you can check those out. We also have another uh, bonus podcast that we do called Simulator, which where we give mecha video games the same treatment that we give mecha anime. Uh, we've done Armored Core, Front Mission, Zardion. Uh, currently working on Assault Suits Valken uh, as our next episode. Some of those episodes, like the Armored Core and Front Mission ones, are on the main feed, so check those out. If you like those and want to support that work, you can go over to patreon.com slash giantrobotfm. I want to give credit to Dwarf S for our graphic design, credit to Shkin for our art, and credit to Fretzel, hashtag Fretzel for the music that we use. All right, PMC, you got a stinger for us? Steven, do you know... Uh, now you see, I have a I have a particular reason that I like I like piloting mechs, and that I was asking about the Inazuma thing. Do you know why that is? I do not. Because I pilot mechs just for kicks. Yeah.